called Jesse, aka the Bizzle. Oh, the Bizzle. Thank you. <laughs> the Bizzle. Thank you, the Bizzle. Yeah. The Bizzle. All right, ladies and gentlemen of the Bizzle cast, welcome back for some more Star Wars awesomeness with Jedi Geek Girl. Um, as you saw in the headline and copy, I'm sure this is indeed a running commentary, like a film commentary of the final four or five Rebels, Star Wars Rebels episodes um, from the season four, which is the final season. Um, depends how you want to count those episodes. It's basically five 20 minute length episodes, and we're just going to put them back to back to back to back to back like a movie. Um, I'm going to explain how the countdown's going to work doing this episodically. Um, but here with me, um, once again, Jedi Geek Girl, I've had great uh, response to our last Jedi commentary. So welcome back. Thank you so much for having me back on. I'm excited to do this again and talk about one of my favorite characters. Yeah, um, I'm going to talk about a bunch of my favorite characters, but I, we definitely have the same favorite in Ahsoka, and I definitely have always liked Sabine and the Ezra stuff. Obviously, you know, he's pushed up front this season, which we will talk about. Uh, spoiler alert, if you're watching this, there's a certain blind Jedi not named Chirrut Imwe who is dead uh, at this point. It just died. So keep in mind that that just happened, basically. Um, and we're starting with sort of the two mystical episodes that people got really excited about and wasn't expecting, and then three episodes that lead into the you know the epic action-packed finale of rebels that we wanted and expected we'll talk about the ups if there are any downs and what are they talk a lot of ahsoka we'll talk the other characters of the crew i'm gonna hone in on like lore well i'm more like philosophy and mysticism uh because jay geek girl's a lore master so she'll talk about lore and characters and we'll meet somewhere in the middle and we'll do this just like last jedi so hopefully this will work i have done a full uh set of commentaries for i think all of season one of rebels which i released a while ago but I'm glad to be doing this. So, um, all right, Jedi Geek Girl, I'm going to shut up and explain things. But um, really quickly, uh, since this is a bit of an epic affair, um, why don't you uh, plug your your stuff in the beginning, and we can do it again at the end. But let's just do it now because you guys definitely need to check out what Jedi Geek Girl is up to. So go ahead. Sure, people can find me at Facebook.com/slash Destiny. They can also find me at Jedi Geek Girl on Twitter. They can find the Ivy Bell podcast anywhere pretty much any pretty much anywhere where you can find podcasts. Word word and find it you shall fans um so um jaggy girl i'm really excited about this this is slightly experimental because i have done like jessica jones commentaries back to back to back like in terms of doing them but not with somebody else doing it like this as a movie um anything you want to say to listeners before i explain the logistics of how this is going to work just that these last five episodes were the proving ground for why the Rebel series is so good. I mean, we saw bits and pieces of why it was so good, but once we got to this climax, it just kept coming. The beats just kept on coming, and I don't know about you, but as season four progressed on and on and on, I just fell more and more in love with Rebels to the point to the point where I actually prefer it over Clone Wars right now. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I, if maybe I'll bring this up uh, again, but something I don't know if I've ever actually told you, although you might have heard these podcasts, is that I went backwards from Rogue One, then watched Rebels, then went back to Clone Wars. So I have a very bizarre 
um, understanding. And one thing I may, I will bring up related to that, uh, and then we'll really get into this, is the fact that I could not understand how people were, would not love Ahsoka. Like, I heard people loved Ahsoka, but used to not love Ahsoka. And then I went back and watched the early Clone Wars episodes, which had some writing problems. I was like, okay, I guess I can see it. But starting with older Ahsoka was a really crazy experience. I'm kind of glad I had, to be honest with you. Um, it really helped me understand her character's flow. Okay, Jesse, shut up. Save this for the podcast. God damn it. I'm sorry, guys. I, I, I'm just I'm pumped. And uh, so, and I have to get through the explanation point here. Jedi Geek Girl is queued up. So, if you join me for my recent Star Wars Rebels pod uh, commentary, um, uh, part two commentary with Simi, which was great, um, or Last Jedi's, uh, Je- uh, uh, Jedi Geek Girl's Last Jedi commentary, or any of my previous commentaries, this will be old hat, and so you can fast forward about two minutes. Otherwise, I will get through this as quickly as possible. Possible, Basically, whether you have a DVD... Um, actually, Je- I should know this. Do they have this on DVD, Jedi Geek Girl? Is this out? Yeah, no, it, it is not. It will not be out till, I would imagine, till about fall so okay so basically you guys are either watching this digitally on amazon or itunes um and if you're not on one of those two places you should be careful um but i don't really care so whatever your file is queue up to zero um when you hit play there's going to be about two or three seconds of a really bright pink and uh green uh disney xd logo it'll briefly fade to black and around three or four seconds the show will start that's the assumption i'm operating on because that's how the official legal digital files work so we are basically um, going to just count you down three to two to one and when I say go you should hit play at that moment to sync with us even if it's just within one or two seconds it'll be fine so the buffering shouldn't be a problem um, put on subtitles if you want especially if you do no sound maybe you put on enough sound or you don't need subtitles I usually put it like five to ten percent sound to, just to get some music and ambient sound but it just depends like how you want to listen to the podcast and how you sort of handle uh, information um, so yeah, did that make sense to you, Jedi Geek Girl? And hopefully that made sense to everybody else? Yes, it did. Okay. And it is good to keep that in mind because even though we have done this over and over again, it is always somebody's first time listening to us, so it's always important to go over that. Yep, yep, yep. Um, and I don't cut and paste guys from past explanations because I'm both too proud and too lazy, I guess. Um, so there you have it. Um, hopefully this one made sense. I've done it a lot. Uh, so, oh, and the last piece of information is, so when you hit the credits, you know, like if you've bought all the episodes or rented them all on Amazon, it'll just offer to go to the next episode. So what you should do is hit pause when the credits roll. Jedi Geek Girl and I will talk for a minute or two to wrap up, and then we will literally just go right into the three, two, one countdown to the next episode. And so you should pause and get that episode queued up in any way you need to. And then I will literally just count you right into it. So we are about to do the first of hopefully five countdowns for these five episodes. Um, I'm so pumped, Jedi Geek Girl. Um, You ready to go? I am lock and loaded. I know I'm a little dragging, but I know once we get started, you can hear it in my voice. We're going to pick up. Three, two, one, go. We start with a Lothcat, one of my favorite creatures in the Star Wars series. I know that whenever they come on, they are so adorable. Especially what we're seeing right here with the Lothcat on the wolf. Yep. Yeah, um, you know, I may act tough, but I'm such a softie on the inside, and I I love the animals. And when I saw the Force of Destiny episode with Jin and the Lothcat, I shot myself. 
Okay, there's, is- for the drinking p- game out there, people with generous mentions, there's your first drink. Go for it. Go ahead, Jagged Girl. I was going to say that that is actually one of my favorite Voices of Destiny episode as well. I'm a sucker for the flock cast. They are so cute and adorable. You know, I'm a cat girl, so having a cat in the Star Wars universe that is both cute, adorable, and unique just mm-hmm. captures my imagination. Yep. And although the little cat also has a little bit of fox to it or something, so it has also that wildness, um, you know, with the canine influence, but is mostly feline. I I love that combination. All right. So here we go. While so while they're going over about going to the Jedi Temple, I want to talk about the animation quickly because I had on at season one of the Clone Wars when I was editing my podcast. And you can tell a difference in animation. Whenever I was watching this the first time around, I always forget how good it is. Because even though it's not as detailed as the clone was, it still blows me away, this level of animation. Yeah. Um, Really quickly, I want to comment on that. But can you just fill us in about why they're going to the temple and like the setup of, of, of this? So, in the last episode, everybody was grief-stricken by the loss of Kanan. Mm-hmm. A wolf reached out to Ezra in his moment of despair and self-pity. And the wolf gave him the key. The wolf is the essence of Kanan telling Ezra, this is what you need to do. It is, if you will, the un finished business of Kanan. Kanan is one with the Force and the Force knows his will Mm -hmm. and the Force knows that he still has more to do. So, the the two things Dave Filoni loves most in the world are Wolves and Ahsoka. Dave Filoni creative Clone Wars and Rebels. He loves a lot of things. He definitely loves those two things and he talks and we've seen pictures of his drawings of Ahsoka riding wolves. Very interesting that it became more the spirit animal of Kanan though in the end, right? It was a little bit of misdirection which, I mean, it's still associated with Ahsoka but the connection with Kanan and and the doom and everything I think is great. Go ahead. I was going to say that we missed a good moment right there about Zeb saying, it talks with his eyes, talking yeah. about the wolves. Really quickly, guys, as this beauty continues, I want to talk about the animation. These episodes pack in uh, 45 minutes to an hour worth of content in 20-minute episodes. So we are for sure going to miss stuff, be talking over each other a bit. So we have some practice from Last Jedi, but just a warning as we get started with these five episodes, it's going to happen. They move way too quickly. Um, on the animation style, which they really stepped up in the fourth season, by the way. I mean, they started in the third season. Fourth season got even better. My felt feeling, though, Jedi Geek Girl was that when I first watched Rebels and started watching Clone Wars, I was like, I like Rebels better, like the characters and the story, but the animation style with Clone Wars is definitely more my taste. As time has gone on and I've rewatched Rebels and tried to rewatch Clone Wars with mixed success, I actually now prefer the Rebels more minimalist style. The, it's very exhausting to watch Clone Wars and all the giant explosions and battles and droids and clones to me um, o- over time. So that's been my experience. I still really like Clone Wars, certain episodes and arcs. I mean, Mortis is amazing. There's some other great ones but yeah i'm i'm with you that i'm sort of more prefer prefer the rebel side even though it is a little pixar-y and i'm not the biggest pixar guy even though i love disney so anyways i have to say that they are both so different that you can like both of them and not feel like they conflict but right now we're seeing them go into a kind of force force tunnel into the grass yeah it was a very like 
what is going on moment. I almost was starting the Lord of the Rings connections. I almost could have heard the Rohan charging into battle music there. Dun, 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 dun. Oh, man. I'm going to, I'll try. There's another drinking game, guys. Lord of the Rings. Have a sip. Go ahead. I love how often these five episodes throw you back. Like right now, we're going through the tunnel and we're going through quotes of previous episodes, unifying this entire series, two lightsabers from season one, the season finale with the Grand Inquisitor, and of course, Ahsoka from season two. Uh, you just get lost in the quotes because you're like, okay, I know that quote. I know that episode. It's just... Yep. Um... I do miss the Ezra hair. I'm not going to lie. I, I think he lost a part of his character when they shaved his hair. That's my biggest complaint about the season, transition to season three. But who cares? What I like about it is, is it makes him stand out from season to season to season. With minor differences between the season, it shows evolutions of the character, which is good to keep in mind when you're watching an animated series because they are on a budget. They can't change their clothes, you know? I, I, I was fine with him cutting his hair. I just wanted him to have a, another transition season four, realizing that having his hair and, like, starting to grow, like, a scruffy beard. Because, let's be honest, the, rebellion, the Rebels aesthetic has always been long hair and beards, right? I mean, going back to the original trilogy, we see Callus, Hot Callus in the final season two, right? I think it would have been cool if he would at least started to grow it back. It's such a minor thing. I don't care. This is so beautiful. The Wolves animation, I mean, this is a dream come true for Dave Filoni. He's been waiting, like, over a decade to do something like this i do have to say and i'm going to jump ahead a little bit and i said gonna say if we see him again i think we're going to see him with longer hair and facial hair yep yep okay so this whole early part is very reminiscent of like if you know if you want to one thing about the Lord of the Rings movies that you can either criticize or love is that there are long stretches of just great music and them running around with hero music. I love that stuff, running around in nature. I guess it's not for everyone. I'm glad they took their time with this one, Jay Geek Girl, even though these episodes, as I mentioned, are so short and so fast. I like they didn't, they could have rushed here in two minutes. I like that had to little, a bit of a physical journey to help sell it, right? Yeah, and this one is a little bit slower compared to the other four which allows us to get ready for what's coming because once it starts, it keeps going. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to introduce one more big topic now, Jake Eker, we don't have to talk a lot about now, but I just want to introduce at the beginning, which is the way in which the mixed reaction to to Last Jedi, both at at the time of release and as discussion has continued over time, um, has led people to reconsider the other two movies and the animated series. And I think people are starting to appreciate what they've had. Not they don't like The Last Jedi, but like it's important you know, to appreciate how great these things are, not pick them apart all the time. And I think, you know, like we saw that with season four of Rebels. I felt like there was a renewed vigor and interest and love of the show that, of course, quality has helped. But do you see what I'm saying? Like, I don't know if you've experienced the same thing. Uh, with with rebels you come from a different um point of view on this i can definitely see where you're coming from and i can agree to an extent we are in a unique point right now in the star wars fandom where star wars is still defining itself and its identity we're only like three years into the canon thing so once we get more and more material 
we are going to appreciate it and look back and be like, oh, this connects to this. This okay, this makes sense. This yep. all is one large world. Yep. And I think people are starting to come around to that. So. Yep. Yeah, I mean, and also with Rebels, you know, again, this is an obvious thought, but one that I'm just realizing like on a new level now, having just done the Rogue One uh, second t- commentary with Simi Klimo, is, you know, I loved Rogue One in spite of the fact that it didn't have much Jedi stuff going on, and it was just a rebellion movie, but I love the new 7 and 8 because of all the Jedi stuff. In Rebels, we get both, right? We get the spark of the rebellion right before the original movie stuff, you know, um, swashbuckling, smugglers, you know, scum, etc. But we also get Jedi stuff. And that, to me, you know, was the hardest thing for me in the final season was not having a lot of Ezra and Kanan. I was fine with them killing him, but the fact that him and Ahsoka get to spend some major time together in the next episode, which is one of the best episodes of television ever, uh, partially makes up for that. Um, but that was that was hard for me in this in the fourth season. I would like to address what we're seeing on screen here. We see Ezra and Sabine going undercover in a really really common trope in Star Wars, and that is going under the disguise of a stormtrooper. I mm-hmm. mean, it's like, you want to talk about a drinking game, we can sit here and name all the different disguises that people go under as oh, yeah. Imperial First Order agents. But I, I thought the inclusion of the Death Trooper starting in, I believe, Season 3 was a nice addition. Again, bringing that around into one big universe and showing that the Death Troopers yep. aren't just Kranich's cronies. Yeah, and that's a great point. And one thing I, I thought of before I forgot to mention the Rogue One commentary about the Death Troopers is it's not just that they're much scarier and much more skilled and much more lethal, but you probably couldn't disguise yourself as a Death Trooper, right? So, like, they're kind of uh, cliche-proof in that way. It would be really hard to pull off being a Death Trooper. Uh, it's so easy, clearly, for the last 40 years to pull off being a Stormtrooper, right? Yeah, but I think you could pull it off if you ever wanted to cosplay yeah all right malcolm mcdowell as i don't have his name in front of me the character and now we got ian mcdermott uh, reprising his role as emperor palpatine and the look on sabine face just sells it Hmm. minister hayden i wonder if that's a hayden christensen tribute could be Uh, you know, I am really, I am really, I was going to say that I am really looking forward to rewatching the Mortis trilogy because there's a lot there. I know that that is on my schedule. It, so. It's still great, but I mean, Rebels to me has just so far exceeded, which is what you're supposed to do with each series is get better and at what you do. Rebels has so far exceeded it. It's not quite as mind blowing, but the lore in it is great. And, and there's some great emotional beats as well. Now, I know I'm going to get a lot of slack for this statement, but it's kind of like rewatching A New Hope and then watching, uh, let's say, The Last Jedi. Mm. The Last Jedi is a deeper movie with a lot of mythology, a lot deeper theme compared to A New Hope. That doesn't mean A New Hope is a worse film. It's just that there's more to a film that came later. Mm-hmm. on so going back to what i was saying about the mortis trilogy compared to like what we're seeing here in this story arc it might be yeah it might be deep but it might not be as deep as what we're seeing here but there's still stuff in it that we can go back and watch and learn i was going to say right here this moment right here with kanan 
I that forgot how much flashbacking there was in this episode. I must have tuned that out because I was like, man, they're restrained. They still are restrained, and it's great how they do it. But I forgot that she kept seeing him. Um, they're, they're super tasteful about it, and thank God they didn't bring him back to life. I, I knew, I, I thought Filoni would never go for that pitch, but I was still concerned being a, a Disney show, they might bring Kanan back. I do want to say that that is not a forced ghost. That is just her remembering his. Oh, I understand spirit. that. Yeah. I was just talking about in terms of the construction of the episode. Oh, no, I was saying that a lot of people in the fandom think that that's a Force Ghost. I'm like, <laughs> no, it's not a Force Ghost. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this is all leading back to Thrawn, who is amazingly voiced by Lars Mikkelsen and is very menacing at times. But the fact that he predicts certain things and not others is, you know, it's it's just a conceit you have to give to it being a, a show for, for younger folks. And, a little, you know what I mean? Like, I'm fine with it, but... I know he doesn't look weak in the end, but he's, you know, like, it's like the Emperor. That's why I can't be mad, because the Emperor's character in the first six episodes, movie episodes, is like that too, where he's so prescient 90% of the time, and 10% he's completely blind. There it is. Oh, that's gorgeous. Go ahead. I was going to say that I thought they did a great job with Thrawn. I thought that he was a threatening presence where he had to be, and with his weakness to, like, natural life and the force it makes sense you know you can be smart and know everything but you're not going to be able to predict a natural sense of life and the force and be as predictable and logic you they did you know what i'm saying all right so there are two major franchises of sci-fi and fantasy that this is directly giving a nod to um the most obvious is Lord of the Rings and the Gates to Moria, um, which in the book Gandalf decodes the Elvish riddle and the movie Frodo does, whatever. But this is very, very, very reminiscent of the Stargate concept from the original Stargate movie in the 90s to the so-so to not great shows in the 2000s to the amazing Stargate universe that lasts only two years and was what Stargate should have been about, which is a very ground level, like military type show based in the present, but going to the far flung parts of the galaxy. And of course they find... um like when they find the original Stargate in Egypt, they there's this big military setup, like exactly like how they have it here, sort of digging it out and guarding it, not sure what to do with it. Um, I, I love that it's here. I love that it's under watch, right? It makes it way more suspenseful rather than it just being out in the wilderness and, okay, we just have to decode it. I thought that was a cool choice. If I may talk about the 2D animation coming up a little bit in yeah. a little bit, the 2D animation is done by the same company that does Forces of Destiny. Which is 2D animation. Yes, that's what I said. No, no, but but, but they're just going strength to strength, right? They're going from Oh, you're saying it's going to be a different look 2D, not look like yes. Forces of Destiny. I'm sorry. Yes, the, the 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 painting on the wall when it's moved, that's 2D animation done by the same company. Oh, oh, you said so, coming up. I'm sorry. I heard coming up as like the new one of the new shows coming out. I was like, how does she know about that? You mean coming up in the episode? Okay. Yes. My bad. I know you're excited for the upcoming animated series. No, that, that was this was literally yet. just mishearing you, but yeah. I was trying to joke around. Yeah, I know, I know, but I wish I'd caught on to it. Now I look like a big dummy. Okay. (laughs) You and me me both, my friend. So we've talked before about how we love the toned-down Sabine look in the new season. Yes, we did. Um, But we, when we said that, we were talking about when we see her in the 
after the last episode, correct? Um, yeah. No, we also mentioned in one of our Rebels discussions just the fact that she's either brown or very toned down purple this season, like less flashy, more grown up. Maybe not. Maybe I talked about that one of my other, maybe with Simi, so... Sorry about that. Yeah, so anyways, I just like, in general, I love the Sabine hair from the first three seasons, but it's things are very serious now. It makes sense she'd want to be more low-key, not graffiti everything, including her, her face or her hair. Yeah, she's definitely getting older, and that happens over time. You're always flashy when you're younger, and then when you get older, that tones down. That's just a natural progression in life and style. Yep. What's the elvish word for friend? I like the animation and the troopers here. I think yeah. their armor looks nice and shiny and white. It looks very smooth. It doesn't look sharp. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Did this air back to back with World Between Worlds? It did. Yeah, it did. I was going to say, this would be such a cock tease excuse my language this would be a giant cock tease if you had to wait a week from this big build up to, to walls in the door uh that's awesome so they really were able to make it into like a 45 minute episode that's fantastic all right now the 2d animation is going to begin yep and the the core of the inside which we'll see in the next episode is a ton of 2d 3d mixed together so when Here you first yep. saw this, what did you think of it? I'm sorry? When you first saw this 2D animation, what did you think of it? I was just in awe, but I never doubted that Filoni and his people could pull this off for one second. So it wasn't like awe, like surprise, it w- or, or like surprise that they could do it. It was just, this is gorgeous, and I've been sort of waiting for this uh, eight seasons of cartoons or whatever, nine seasons. I have to say, if that was me, I would be very freaked out. In real life, you know, if 2D animation started moving like that. Oh, yeah. Yep. The only thing similar I can think that's been recent was the beginning of Wonder Woman. We have little Diana and her mom, the queen, is telling her the history of Zeus and Ares and the Greek gods. And they're watching it like a a Renaissance painting, kind of, um, in motion. It's like stop motion 2D painting, but this is this is something totally different. I like how he's like, no, no, hand him over. So you know how Harrison Ford famously wanted to be killed in Return of the Jedi initially, yes. maybe, and then he insisted they kill him in Force Awakens. It's fine. So Hera, who I've compared to Leia, like nonstop since I first discovered her, she's very Princess Leia, her commanding presence, her leadership role, her ability to be very complicated but but strong and push through things. She's like the Leia we would have seen if Han actually died in Return of the Jedi, right? Because here Kanan actually does die, so you have to see her deal with it. It's like an interesting contrast. Because, you know, Leia loses Han much later when they're much older. It's still sad, but this is even way more sad. It is, definitely. But to wrap up that story, Freddie Prince Jr. apparently was had pushed from the beginning, not to die in the middle of the series, but to die by the end. Like, Freddie Prince really wanted to go out in flames, so I appreciate it. <laughs> well, I think he 
knew his character and he knew that his character story end with him dying. He knew that in order for the Star Wars mythology to be fulfilled, his character had to die. He actually had to talk to David about having it to be done because David was having second thoughts. I would love to be in the room anytime Dave Filoni started having major second thoughts. I'm just like freaking out. I'd love to just be a fly on the wall for that. And I don't know if he freaks out. Yeah. Here we go. The only, prob- the only problem I guess people have with him is that he tends to be really slow about killing off his characters. That is a common complaint I hear from people. But You mean how he doesn't kill off any except for Kanan, basically? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Um, okay, so here goes the Stargate. You know, here it's wolves, and the Stargate, it's Egyptian symbols. Boom. Right through. <laughs> yeah. Man. The music is also very fantasy-ish, too. Right, but voices. also mixed with, like, Duel of the Fates kind of feeling as well. Oh, man, what a great episode. Well, why don't we just keep going into the next one? And then, yeah, don't you think? Yeah, I agree. I This episode is a little bit slower compared to the other ones because, you know, we're building up to the climax and we're building up to the next one. You have to have time to pace the story out, and I think they did a great job. It, was, it could be so easy going boom, 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 but we needed to build to where we're going with the story because it's going to come really quick. Yep. Um, yeah. Uh, let me think of anything really quickly. I mean, it was just an adventure through the, you know, like the wilderness and then discovering the gate and trying to figure out how to open the gate. The 2d animation was amazing. Um, I will continue to praise force of destiny. I mean, it's not something I watch like on repeat, you know, but like the animation itself is gorgeous. I love that they're flexing their 2d muscles as Jedi geek girl brought up and talk about, and we're definitely going to see, um, I'm going to try to not be the bizzle and try and like decode like which is 2D and which is 3D for this next part because I honestly have no idea and I don't want to talk that much about it. But I will be praising the vision of the world between worlds, which is sitting at a 9.5 out of 10 on IMDb, which is impressive for a cartoon episode. Um, so yeah, so basically, guys, we're gonna do this each time. Um, so just queue up uh, back to zero, um, and uh, I'm gonna count us down. So just pause until you're ready. I'm gonna count down into episode 13 of. Season four, a world between worlds. Man, I cannot wait. Um, anything else, Jessica Girl? Are you ready to to do the countdown? Yep, I am ready. Whenever you are. All right, folks. So hopefully you're queued up. We're going to count it down. I'm go three, two, one, go. And when I say go, uh, you should hit play immediately. And this is, you know, I mean. Well, we'll get into the episode, but this is certainly the the coolest conceptually uh, most conceptually cool episode of the series for me. Um, and uh, let's see how it's it's aged over the last couple months. So, all right, we're ready to go. Here comes the countdown: three, two, one, go. Oh, here we go. Okay, look at the subtitles. Qui-Gon, Obi-Wan, I'm talking the fans. Yoda, luminous beings are we. Okay. There's a Just when you think you understand the Force, you'll find out how little you actually know. Yoda, 
I, actually, the first time I think I've watched this was subtitles. There's the original Obi Wan. Alec Guinness. Kanan. Hmm. This is the first time I watched it with the subtitles too. It's nice to actually be able to catch all the quotes. Mm-hmm. And some of them, I'm sure the subtitles are not going to be able to get because they talk over each other to a point. Mm-hmm. Okay, so here comes the next drinking game. My idea I've been pushing for over a year now of an Obi-Wan Ahsoka time travel movie, and everybody mocked me. They'll never do time travel in Star Wars. Well, look who's laughing now. No, I'm just kidding, guys. I, I got lucky on that one. I actually didn't think they were going to do this, Jedi Geek Girl. I was shocked. We can discuss how much of time travel it actually is, but look at this. I mean, this is this is a place of, of no time, no space, but also all the time and all the space. This is a fantasy thing as much as a science fiction thing. I'm going to let you start on this one um, while I gather my thoughts. So I was going to say that you're opinion and interpretation of what we're seeing in this episode varies on your point of view. The way that I look at it is I look at at it as a point of where the force is. If somebody is closing their eyes and looking at the future, this is the place that they are looking from. Instead of being a place of time travel, I think it's the place of of a, a force. It's kind of hard to describe because the idea of it is abstract compared to what we have seen in Star Wars so far. But right. I, I think it's clearly time travel because one person is in a different time from the other and then joins that person in their future. Current, but we'll get back to that really quickly. Janky girl. I thought it was a really subtle touch how sort of obsessed Theron was with Sabine. Not in any like weird way, just an evil way. Like Sabine in particular, Theron was really you know obsessed with Lord of Mandalore and her artwork. Um, he also knew how dangerous Ezra was, but I thought it was a cool way of really increasing the sense of uh, increasing strength and danger that she posed in particular by having Thrawn constantly, you know, t- mentioning her and stuff like that. Um, I, I, I don't know if I'm reading too much into it because it's usually just Ezra, Ezra, Ezra. I like they push Sabine forward as well in this season. Um, and Thrawn was, a, was, and all the bad guys are a part of that, obviously. And obviously they're building up to the conclusion where she is essential to the conclusion of the Rebel series. It's definitely kind of different than what we saw of her in season one. In season one, there was a lot of, not a lot of focus on her. Now, mm-hmm. going into the last season, she's an important part of the story. Um, this is beautiful, the hologram thing. Um, really quickly, a uh, little synergy here with your podcast. It's Sabine, who was once extremely powerful, and I-, I love to play as well when I was playing, is still a big part of the meta in Destiny, or is she too expensive and-, and phased out at this point? She is still relevant, not as dominating as what she used to be, but she can still win a few games here and there. Yeah, so guys, just so you know, if you've not played Destiny, so when I started playing in the fall, and this is a uh, Jackie Girls podcast, I Rebel, um, they was when they really started pushing Rebels characters, which some people were happy about, some people weren't. I loved it. I loved getting Sabine in like, my first pack ever, even though it's a very rare card. She's extremely powerful for the good guys who are way under... It's a collectible card game. Um, and uh, yeah, it was like, okay, Sabine is maybe cooler and more powerful than we thought. Uh, trying to telegraph that... Uh, speaking of telegraphing, um, this is just, this is such a cool, co- 
vision, right? This looks like Tron, but even more minimalist somehow. I think it is a great interpretation. I think it is something unique and definitive that sticks with you that isn't cliche and something that we have seen before. Oh, there's Leia. Tell me I didn't miss. There's, there's, okay, there's um, Matt Lanter's Anakin. I hope he, did I miss Jin? Does Jin happen? Do I just imagine that? I don't know. We might have. We might have missed it. Okay, we definitely heard Leia, which is in the future. So now he's seeing the future. Here's the owl. Okay, um, uh, Jake, your girl. Interpretation of the owl. Why this owl? Why an owl? What, what are your thoughts about this whole thing? So the owl, uh, well, I will get into it in a second here, but we're seeing Ahsoka. This moment right here drew me into the episode because this is what we've been waiting for for the last two years. What happened with Ahsoka? And here we go. This was an edge of the seat of the moment. Right, okay. So he's seeing himself. This is definitely time travel. This is a thousand percent time travel. Look at this fight. Oh, man. It looks even better than two years ago. The animation. Oh, yes. <laughs> Her blades are humongous. I think they've gotten bigger. It's great. Oh, Have you gone back and watched Twilight of the Apprentice? I've seen it so many times. I know it by heart. But watching this makes me want to rewatch it every time. Uh, yeah. God. Oh, nice. Oh, what does that remind me of? Is that like, oh, that's um Breaking the right. Bridge in Moria. Yeah, that's the Gandalf thing. I was going to say that the floating rocks remind me of Rey in The Last Jedi. When but do you know what I mean? I, I just ground. noticed that. The you shall not, you shall not pass. Like, is this, that was awesome. Oh, man. Filoni, shameless Lord of the Rings shiller. God bless him. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you before. Okay, so he's trying to decode it, what they decoded. Does Sabine, even if she wanted to, could Sabine tell him how to open the gate at this point? I think she already knows, doesn't she? No, I mean, she knows how to open it herself. Can she explain it? I just forget the mechanism. I don't know if she can because... She she knows how to open it, but you have to be, you know, connected to the force and be able to do it. You know, like, you can explain it, but you can't actually, you know, explain yeah. it because, you know. Okay, so what I'm about to say is a tiny, tiny criticism and or critique of this episode, and it's only that they should have just run with the Ahsoka, a, uh, Ezra A storyline a bit longer before cutting back here. I know they, why they do this. It's a kid show. It's a network show. I get it. That's what TV does. But they should have followed that storyline for a good five or ten minutes. But I think once we go back there, Jake Girl, we do spend quite a bit of time with them. So it, I can't be too unhappy. And this, this back and forth banter here is quite good, I, I will say. I would have to say that I would disagree with that statement. I think that pulling away was perfect because you're in the moment you're watching ahsoka you're not sure what's going to happen you think that she's going to die you've been looking forward to this for two years and yeah, then he sure. reaches out and grabs ezra and you're blowing out and ezra falls through the portal and it cuts to black and we go here it i thought it was perfect yeah it's totally a, just a taste thing it's you're right it's it's not a critique really it's just a that's what i would have done but I, here we go Right. It's like one more breath before the storm. Plus, they knocked out Ezra, so they, that was a good transition. Yeah, you're right. So, the owl goes back to the Mortis trilogy 
the owl is a symbol of the daughter, which was mentioned in the episode. So, because the daughter resurrected Ahsoka through Anakin, that is why she's tied to the owl. So, you know, my, my co-contributor, Simi Klimo, is obsessed with Ahsoka as I am with Jenner, so we talk a lot of Ahsoka. We do. No, I'm saying me and Timmy as well talk a lot of Ahsoka. Oh, yeah. And he's, we he's do skeptical too. they can pull her off practically. I've been trying to explain that they can do it. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm sure they can. I like how Ahsoka knows what's going on. There's not a lot of explanation that needs to be told to her. She gets it, she understands it. And we move forward with the story. I love her armor. It never gets old. The design, her, the design of older Soka, her clothing, her armor, her face—it never gets old. It just—it just looks perfect. Like, I mean, young Soka is awesome. But I, you know, like, I think they were probably worried talking about Filoni's process about pulling off an older Soka. Um, and if I was a fan that was watching like the actual order going from Clone Wars to Rebels, I would have been a little nervous too. I think those fears were dispelled quickly in season two and definitely by Twilight of the Apprentice, which is, you know, some of the best Star Wars stuff ever. I think when fans first saw her at the conclusion of season one of Rebels, I think that insecurity was automatically dissipated. I thought she looked fantastic and it works. So, can you put your finger on how... Well, you know what? Screw that. We'll save that question for later. Let's, I want to talk about this. Right. There it is. This place is ancient, but not f- eternal. Oh, she didn't know. Ezra knows. Or does he? Yeah. What do you think it means, dummy? <laughs> yeah. Oh, Ezra. I love how Aladdin, he, he continues to be even without the hair. <laughs> mm-hmm. Do you think it's a constellation or just an image? It's a constellation. That must be in the lore book somewhere, all the constellations of this galaxy. Yep. Well, my interpretation, and again, this is just mine, is that the inside of some sort of force thing. So this isn't exactly their space. So that constellation isn't something that they would see if they go outside the portal. This is just a constellation made by the force in this world. Okay, so we, again, I can't remember if this was with you. I think we had this discussion about, um, no, I think maybe it was, I can't remember about, you know, Ezra's lack of understanding of why he can't do what he wants to do here and Ahsoka, like, do we buy Ahsoka's explanation? Because he just pulled Ahsoka out of time when she might have died. So how is that any different than pulling Kanan out? I'm not really sure. Because Kanan was in a moment of self-sacrifice to save them. If So was Ahsoka. Ahsoka's force pushes Ezra out of the room and almost or gets killed by Vader. Yeah, That moment was already over. They were already out. When he pulls Ahsoka out, Kanan is in the moment of pushing away the ship. If you watch this vision coming up, 
right. he's fighting the fight. No, I understand, but that you're not answering the biggest question is like, why does Ezra only see these very specific moments in time and space? It's a little convenient. I'm, I'm fine with it. It's interesting. I'm just, uh, it's just a neutral question. I'm not sure. Right. Like, why not five minutes before this or something? Because it is the, f- the force. You know what I'm saying? These are portals that create visions based on the right. expectations of the people who are looking in them. I don't think these are portals. It's like, hey, if we go to this portal, we can go to this point in time this point in time i think they are portals that are determined by what needs to be told at that point in time either by the force or by the guilt of ezra that's why he's looking at canaan that's why it called to him yep. because yep. he needs this he needs mm-hmm. to confront this yep. in order to move on and to grow yeah and i'm, I'm again i'm being a dummy because if i just listen to my own time travel theory when i talk about how vergences are in time and space and vergence can be open during very critical moments in the universe like it actually makes sense that he could only he could only touch the most insanely powerful vergences and those would only happen at the great moments of history like ahsoka versus vader or kanan saving them right so that actually makes sense to me um now i think about it more i thought this was fantastic because of its relevancy in the final episode of rebels we see Ezra does the same thing that Kanan does. He learns that lesson, and both Kanan and Ahsoka are important to that. I mean, I... I hope that they... If they don't cast Rosario Dawson as Ahsoka, then I hope they don't do it just because that's what the fans want, and they're like, no, we gotta do something different, because... Rosario Dawson, particularly as, as Claire Temple in the Defenders shows, is extremely similar to Ahsoka in personality and temperament. Here we go. Okay. We'll get back to that later. I hate to say it. I love Ian McDermott. Sam Witwer sounds more like Palpatine at this point than Ian McDermott does. I know that's insane, but I, that's how I feel. I can definitely see that a little bit. I have but I'm to... not begrudging bringing back Ian McDermott. God, no. God bless him. No, 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 no. You, you have to bring back the master in such a pivotal series of episodes. But I thought, like, for example, in Rogue One, there's something a little off about Vader. You know, his costume was a little lighter. He moved a little too quickly. And James Earl Jones' voice sounded a little different. Um, th- that's all I'm saying. It's like you know, when they're playing these iconic roles 30 years later, you can't necessarily sound how you're supposed to sound in the original series. Um, Without a doubt. Amy McDermott's amazing. And guys, you should definitely YouTube his uh, Star Wars celebration thing he did. Was it last year or two years ago about his journey in Star Wars? And as an actor is great. I have to say going off topic here Mm -hmm. for like five seconds, one of my favorite moments that's called a sidebar, the, yeah. Yep, featuring the Emperor has Ooh. to be his over-the-topness in Episode 3. I like how over-the-top he was. Yeah, this... What is that language he's speaking? Yeah, baby! Oh! Saruman versus uh, Gandalf. Yeah, go ahead. So what he is doing is Sith magic. That's what we're seeing. And this throws back to an arc in the Clone Wars. He does the exact same thing to get to Yoda when Yoda was going through his training. Hmm. Yep. A great series of episodes in the sixth season. I recommend going back because it shows that, again, 
this is one huge universe, you know, using the same elements that were used in that series of episodes. I mean... Alright, here comes the drinking game. Ahsoka, an Obi-Wan movie, it's so perfect. They have a past, they have a relationship, the timing works completely, you know, like, it's... My only regret is I didn't actually start this manuscript to send something to them because I honestly never thought it would happen. And now I'm like, oh shit, I got to get on that. Boom, look at this. This is great. I'm still not sure you, you can maybe explain to me the difference between force magic and magic uh, or force powers. So this magic is powered by the Sith, the dark side. How it varies from magic that we see by the Night Sisters is, is that they are both reliant on the dark side, but this magic, quotation marks, has foundations in the Sith. They are both elements of the Force, just a different way of turning the Force into magic, if you will. So, you know, the question, of course, that must be begged, as we say, is you know, the time loop stuff that's happening happening here. Should there be another Ahsoka in this temple along with her? Um, also, it's the whole John Connor scenario. Like, you know, like, how does John Connor born if he never sent someone back to save his mom who died before he was born? Whatever. That's time travel stuff. We don't have time for that now. But I'm, I'm just happy that they acknowledge that, yes, Virgis happen in time as well as space, and we're going to explore that a little bit, and we're going to, you know, leave it open for interpretation. I, I think they struck a great balance. I mean, to me, it's clearly time travel, but the fact that you can make different interpretations is, is great. I, I wouldn't want it to be straight up, old, you know, like sci-fi style time travel, if that makes sense. Yeah, and even in our conversation, we come to different conclusions. Even in our conversations, you're a little bit more on the time travel. I'm like, eh, it's a little bit more in the force, but that is okay. It's open for interpretation, and I think it was a great... When he sees Ahsoka, and what happened, what, six months or a year before this? Like, it, they are in literally two different times, and when she goes through, she joins his time. That's the definition of time travel. I think it's just because it's not what we're used to seeing with time travel, but that is... The time travel, I think. Mmm, God. So cool. It's complete stop motion. I mean, it's not fluid. It's perfect. So, um, I know this is super dramatic, but things are about to get even crazier, so I'm going to keep talking for now. This is a great episode. I want to see more of the Portal and an Obi-Wan Ahsoka adventure, whether it's on TV or in a movie, is the perfect place to do it. You know, it, it's not like getting in the DeLorean and putting in 1984 or whatever. It's more like the force guides you to places where it needs to be healed it's almost like there's rifts in the force yeah that's what it is it's like the force is breaking and so it's guiding the people that need to be guided there to heal those breaks sometimes different spaces sometimes different times sometimes both that's that's my explanation i'm I'm sticking with it i'm not a huge fan of them using the concept of what we just seen 
over and over again. I think in the Star Wars universe, it has to be smart about when they include it because it's something that I think would be quickly overused if we used it over and over again in Star Wars. What in particular are you talking about? Time travel. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, I think they should be sparing with it as well. But they just opened a box, Pandora's box, you know? So now they have to address why they don't use it if, if they don't, right? So it's it's fine. I mean, if it's just here, it's great. But and uh, they, let's put it this way. I thought they could pull it off. They pulled it off way better and cooler and more subtle than I than even I, I thought was possible. So mad props to them. And if nothing else, I get to write fan fiction about this stuff. And that's great. I have to say that I don't see it as a TARDIS. I don't see it as something always being there. I think right now it is a story element. Sure, it can become the TARDIS and something that they could use <laughs> you later can't just on. Dismiss, sorry, no, I'm not letting you get away with that. You can't just dismiss it as a story element. <sighs> that, was, that was smooth, though. You almost got away with that. Because <laughs> that's not the explanation. Those are some nice headphones. I wonder if she's listening to music all the time. I never thought about that. That would be interesting. Beautiful. Beautiful. All right. So we got our Soka. We got our mysticism. I was so afraid he was going to pull the Frodo line. Well, I know what I have to do. I just don't know if I can or whatever it is. You know, this, this is a lot more, a lot more subtle. I mean, they, they push Ezra up a little too much in the final season, but I get it. It's a kid show. There's the wolf. Look at... Okay, I was going to say early Jedi Geek Girl, because it's more minimalist than what's going on in Clone Wars most of the time, they can focus on, like, skin textures. Like, Sabine's face has, like, freckles on it and stuff, if you look closely, you know? Like, their faces are so textured up close. Something you can't do when you have a thousand characters and explosions on screen at all times. Man, this looks great. Now, this is straight-up computer stuff. I mean, this isn't even, like, traditional 3D animation. This is, like heavy computer graphics doing this weather effect. It looks amazing. Boom. All right. So let me ask you one question and then um, you and I can take a quick break, but we're, and the listeners were going to lead into the next episode. Um, were, at the time, were you uh, satisfied with uh, Ahsoka's appearance? And did you think that was going to be her last appearance? Two part question. I was, and I did. I did not expect to see her again. Cool. I, I sort of did, but I wasn't sure how. So, um, okay, cool. Anything else you want to you wanna add about that one? Um, we'll have to continue our time travel debate some t- other time um, before we lead into A Fool's Hope. It is definitely one of the best episodes of Star Wars Rebels. I know that it is in my top five episodes. I think even above most of the seasons and season, season openings and season closing just because of its depth and its inclusion of Ahsoka and just in the conversation that it creates in fandom where everybody has an opinion. Yep. Yeah. I mean, again, being a sci-fi nerd and a fantasy nerd, I wish we had two minutes more of Ahsoka either explaining or at least theorizing what's going on. I mean, she does do some, but I feel like it would have been a nice lesson for kids about science as told through the Force with Star Wars to talk a little bit about time and space. Like, if you've seen the movie Interstellar, they do this a lot to explain it to, like, the quote-unquote common person. If you're not familiar with astrophysics and cosmology, I know it works differently, but the principles are the same. Would have been a nice lesson for kids to talk about the warping of space and time. Whatever. That's fine. That's, again, not a complaint. I I just want more all the time. Um, And, yeah, if you put 
put episode 13 and 14 back to back as a single long episode, then yeah, that's in my top five. Um, I think you kind of have to, right? Like Twilight of the Apprentice. So, um, cool. So I actually haven't seen the next three episodes since uh, initial airing. I thought I would have time to rewatch them. I haven't. So this should be really interesting. Um, so, uh, yeah, we're going to, um, get you into the countdown in just a second. Um, and, uh, yeah, I can't wait for these final three episodes. All right, guys, time to do the countdown for Season 4, Episode 14, the third of five episodes uh, in the series finale of Star Wars Rebel uh, Run. Um, And uh, yeah, we're going to do the same thing as usual. So um, get queued up to zero, get the subtitles on, a little ambient sound, pause if you need to, and come back when you're ready and count us right in. All right, so here we go. Countdown starting now. Three, two, one, go. Awesome. Now we just got done with the deep philosophical spiritual episodes and we're going to jump into a series of episodes that are filled with action. I think this was great that they got the force part of the story arguably out of the way and now we're jumping into the action. I thought this was a great way to do it just like they did in season three. Can I ask you a quick character uh, like question go for by, it b- by the way i'm thrilled they're back here um with uh with with sexy callus this is my question is do you think it's okay slash normal for people to like openly have crushes on cartoon characters i mean this has been happening in anime forever i think it's fine i get it but it is interesting men and women very open about it or video games are you talking about crushes yeah yeah like with callus or ahsoka or even sabine or whatever i mean I think it's fine as long as it doesn't get obsessive. I think if you're obsessive about it, it can be a little overboard. But there's nothing wrong with seeing somebody as attractive. I think Kanan is attractive. I think Kaya is attractive. Ezra is too young. Sabina Sabina is attractive, but she's still young. But going going back to, you know, The Last Jedi commentary, Mm -hmm. beautiful people, you know? Yep. Except Hondo. Hondo's not beautiful. Hondo's not beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Uh, his design is more appealing than the newer ones, I guess. He does look a little different. Uh, speaking of beautiful people, great to have Gina Torres back as Ketsu. Um, Ketsu is a very cool-looking character, but Gina Torres, drop-dead gorgeous, and amazing actress on Firefly. Um, just, I can't speak highly enough of her and all, everyone on that show. Um, I guess her and Alan Tudyk now both have been in Star Wars. Interesting. So, sidebar... But I was first exposed to her as an actress through Angel. Mm-hmm. Also Joss Whedon property. That's how he knew her, I guess. Yep. And for those who are familiar with Angel but cannot place the name, she was Jasmine in season four. Mm. Not an arc I really cared for, but... Yep. Well, yeah. See, what I like about this series of episode is we're seeing a group of people throughout the history of Rebels. Mm-hmm. We're seeing them all come together. And I do want to note before we jump back into the story that Hondo, the horns on his shin are longer than what they were in Clone Wars. This is how the species, I would imagine, ages. So I thought that was a nice little touch of differentiating, you know, making him different than the way yep. that he looked in Clone Wars. Besides, I think he's a little thinner too. Can we talk about the Hondo character for a second? Um, 
Hondo is probably my favorite side character that is in both of the series. That's not like one of the major characters. I love Jim Cummings. Does the voice. Is a legend of Hondo. I think the difference of Hondo's personality between Clone Wars and this is representative somewhat of the difference of philosophy of the two shows. Um, Clone Wars was much darker, much more death and people backstabbing each other. This is more the Disney version. I'm not saying one's better than the other. It's just interesting to see his progression. Also, he's older, right? And so there's that. I, I would have to say that the difference would can be attributed more to his age than it being underneath Disney, even though I'm sure you know, that might play a part, but I attribute it to its age because I think if you have the same character, going back to The Last Jedi, who's the same that they were 15 or 20 years ago, that's not the case, you know. I'm not the same person I was 20 years ago. I'm not the same person I was five or even three years ago. People change, and it's important to have that featured, I think, at least, in fiction because it adds a level of realism with the character evolution, you know. Absolutely. And I would like to think that he learned his lesson a tiny bit with what happened with, you know, him having his own empire underneath the rule of the Jedi. And then when the actual empire take over, things change for him dramatically, I'm sure. So that must be a part of it. So I have to say that I absolutely, I absolutely love how evil Governor Price is. And she doesn't care, you know, she's committed to it. There's no remorse. Yep. But, you know, oh God, I I love that character. I can't explain why, because she ends up being not that smart, but, like, she's great. Have you read the Thrawn novel? I've not read the Thrawn novel, actually. That's on my list. Oh, my God. I would definitely recommend reading it if you want to find out more about Governor Price, because you get to see how she rose up and why she is so ruthless. Yep. She's like, how do I explain it? I think, again, she is following the great tradition, especially in modern Star Wars, of women, strong female characters, and the fact that they can be clearly feminine and women, but not focus on that little to ever, because it's not important, right? Like, So, yeah. can I pull a bizzle here? Of course. She's better than Phasma. <laughs> well done well done well done <laughs> i don't disagree i think she is the she's the type of villain that we would like to see in female villains i, I yeah like i i was gonna say back to i haven't read theron i know a little bit about it I, I i already know that her portrayal in that novel will be uh, even as a side character, I think will be more memorable than what I've read of Phasma so far, which I'm not a huge fan of. But anyways, that's a different story. Here we are, back with Sabine, um, in the classic armor. Um, uh, another question for you. I'm going to let you... I'm letting Jedi Geek on mostly do the play-by-play for these final episodes, um, but I'm going to ask you some straight-up questions. Uh, this isn't a, do you think it should have happened? This is just a, do you think it was going to any kind of, like, open or even side romance between Ezra and Sabine going back to the beginning of the series. It is my interpretation that there was no plan for it to be attended. I think that romance is nice to have, but Mm -hmm. it has to feel natural. So in my opinion, I I don't think it was ever supposed to be romantic between them. It was supposed to be a young boy that fell, you know, crazy about a girl like mm-hmm. some boys do, and it wasn't supposed to be anything because that's not the point of this story. Mm-hmm. 
By the way, it's time for a quick shout out to Papa Bizzle, whose Amazon Prime account we are both using right now. Thank you, Papa Bizzle. Yes, thank you. He loves Jedi Geek Girl, so it wasn't a hard sell, but thanks anyway, Dad. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Man, he was he was on board with you on the podcast like from the first one. He good, knows. good, good, good. My dad's a good critic. Okay, here we go. He'll even watch this stuff, even though he'll never watch the show. Um, okay, I I thought. Okay, what did you think of of Warwick Davis's character in the second half of season four? I, I like the design. Um, I'm not sure I have anything else to say on it. I really appreciated what they did with him. He was threatening without being over dominating, dominating, and mm-hmm. he wasn't a useless villain. Like, sure, he kept on quote unquote losing. But he kept putting up a strong fight. Like you felt, always felt like he was a threat. He's like the yeah. Wolverine, right? He's on all fours sometimes. He's animalistic, but he's much smarter than an animal. I mean, he's you know clearly sentient and smart. It's a it's a great design. And I have to say that I know that you read the Throne trilogy, which is Legends now. But mm-hmm. I hope that having him introduced in canon will introduce his planet because I like that planet and i like this race and creatures you know mm-hmm. so we'll get back to thrawn um when he appears cause there's a lot to talk about there uh by the way it was just after all the times i've seen rogue one it was just in the recent commentary that i saw the full shot of the ghost go in front of admiral radis's screen from beginning to end like i'd never been able to really catch it without like pausing it before like i caught it i got super excited forgot how good it looked as a real ship i am not I'm not good at that. I always get distracted yeah, at suck. that battle screen, yeah. that that battle scene, and how good it looked. I can never focus on. Okay, look for the ghost. Yep. Yeah, I was shocked that I picked up the boy with the broom at the end of Last Jedi at my first viewing. That's normally something I I miss or or some somewhat miss. Oh, I caught that on my first viewing. Yeah, that was I'm nice. I'm glad I did. I love this technique that they're going to use to get through the blockade. So. My only thing with Callus, God bless David Ayelowo, that Oscar-nominated genius of an actor, um, is and by the way, having a black African play the voice of a white, guy, you know, imperial guy, and no one even commenting on it is great. Um, I think that's progress, um, but. I just wanted more callous. I thought his transition from evil Imperial to turning to the good guy's side was completely sold great and believable, especially with his interactions with Zeb. I was felt like I, I was left feeling like I wanted more callous, but again, I would always rather want more than want less in the things I love. Right. So I, I'm okay with it. It's just, it's not a criticism. Again, it's just me wanting more of something I love. So let's go back to the last episode yes. about you wanting, you know, a Obi-Wan and Anakin story. Let's say that you were in Ahsoka, charge of... Ahsoka, but that's okay. Yeah. Yes. So they okay. both start with A. But anyway, <laughs> let's that's jump true. into a theory. If you were in charge of creating a story with Callus, what would that look like? Like, would you bring him in a book or a TV show? Like, how would you tell more stories with Callus. Okay, that's a great question. I'll try and answer it relatively quickly. In terms of what they could have done in Rebels, something I thought they were going to do was have him get captured back by the Empire for like a series of episodes like Kanan was at the end of Season 1 and be tortured and stuff to like prove his loyalty to the Rebels and see if he was going to turn again and they'd have to rescue him. I thought maybe they would do that. Um, but I would definitely do Young Callus. 
um, as a series? Like, how did he, a guy who clearly has a great heart deep down, like, how did he get so bad and so evil to the fact where we can believe him actually coming back to the good guy's side, right? Um, sort of a reverse Cassian Andor story. Like, Cassian, when we first meet him, he's killing another rebel. You're going, oh my God, is this a guy, a horrible guy? And you realize, no, he's just been forced to do things. You know, I think Callus is the other side of that, right? And we've seen complications in both the Empire being not fully evil and the Rebellion not being fully good. And I think Callus would be the perfect character. I don't know if you're into the idea of prequel version of Callus. So here's my pitch of a story featuring him. Give it to me. How about, how about we get like a young adult novel that takes place between him mm-hmm. and Callus on that planet mm-hmm. and him revealing as Volcom where we see him deal with that self-doubt and conflict of being loyal to the emperor, emperor to becoming fulcrum, to being act, an active agent. I think that would be an interesting maybe mini-series of a comic or whatever. I think there's something that you can do with that. Sure. Yeah, and, uh, you know, maybe he'll end up in the, um, where is it? Keep, keep I have going. to say that I really like this technique, like I mentioned before. It's a throwback to the Empire Strikes Back. I think it's very logical that a ship would be able to attach to another ship to achieve whatever they're trying to do, whether it's trying to sneak past a blockade or hide from the sensors. Mm-hmm. I really like it. It's something that we don't really have in real life, per se. Um. Yeah. Speaking of Fulcrum and Cassian, who was Fulcrum in some capacity, according to Pablo Hidalgo's book, Cassian was a Fulcrum of some sort. I don't know how that works. Yeah. Um, now, I've, I've joked about not seeing Jin in this final season, but it, that totally time-wise makes sense, and I love her in Force of Destiny, so I want that's great for me. Not seeing Cassian doesn't make total sense, but you know, it feels like a missed opportunity. Diego Luna would voice that in a, literally less than a millisecond. He would say yes to it. I'm not sure why they didn't do it. I don't think it was important to the story. I agree that it would have been nice to have Jen or Cassian appear in Rebels, but I don't think it was. It could have been felt. It could have felt forced. Maybe David thought it would have been forced. Whether maybe. or not it wouldn't have been is open to interpretation. But maybe he thought it would have been, you know, not quite fit the story. I mean. We see Yavin and Fleet Command with Mon Mothma, Bail Organa. You know, we know at this very moment Cassian's running high-level operations for them, leading to Rogue One. It doesn't feel forced to not have it. It wouldn't feel forced to have it. I don't think it's just my personal opinion. It, yeah, again, not a complaint. Just a would have been cool thing. Oh, this kid, I forgot about him. No, Woo. I I totally agree with you. But who knows what's going through the mind of David? You know. So this, this it was, we're starting to get closer to Clone Wars level of epic, right? I think if some hardcore fans of the Clone Wars, if they have a complaint about Rebels, it's like if you look at the Mandalore episodes at the beginning of season four, it, it was it's supposed to look bigger and more epic than it really was, I think. And, and Clone Wars would do that regularly. I found that exhausting in Clone Wars, as cool as it was. So now when they're actually doing it in these final episodes, I love the epic scale, but that's, that's just me. Yeah, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't this episode the most action featured in one half an hour episode. It seems like this episode is nonstop action. It's close. Yeah. It's close. The beginning of season three was pretty crazy, right? If I, I'm getting confused. I have to say that I am really looking forward to like watching this entire series back to back to back 
instead of, you know, a break and stuff like that. It would be nice to see how the story plays out. Mm-hmm. That's why I end up paying for all the episodes, because I want them permanently on HD whenever I want. That's uh, It's just one of my weaknesses. I personally prefer having the DVDs and Blu-rays or Blu-rays because I like having a display and on my shelf. Oh, yeah. I just meant purchasing in general. Sorry. I meant any kind of buying them. I, I just do digitally. But yeah, I mean, the Blu-rays would be great. Um, oh, no. I was just going into my how I like mm-hmm. things displayed. I don't I like digital, but I like displaying things. I think it looks nice. I'm sure you'll never guess what the front Blu-ray is on my display next to my TV. It, it would completely shock you. Well, not Rogue One, I guess. <laughs> of course. I've been waiting for this for years. Yeah, I never thought he was betraying them. Uh, sorry for that sidebar before. <laughs> that sidetrack, I should say. Um, I never thought Azadi was betraying. I, I don't, this is the part I don't quite buy with her, is that she buys into this so quickly. But again, story reasons is cool. Whoop. Oh, that looks great. I think she does buy into it because I think she's very egotistical. And I think she's starting to feel the, the, the heat from Thrawn, right? She really wants to do something right and please him, so she's sloppy, yeah. I also think, to an extent, maybe the power is going to her head and it's making her blind. I love this little guy, the Ugnut. Mm-hmm. I thought he was a nice inclusion. Yep. So I thought his fake-out death was, it kind of fell a little flat for me. I mean, they could have solved everything by just killing one more main character in the finale. It felt unrealistic that... Yeah. Of course, the the guy who dies is a clone, who were like cannon fodder in the Clone Wars. <laughs> I don't want to get too ahead of myself here, but I was actually surprised that they killed Rook, you know? Yeah. After fake killing him a bunch, yeah. Because going back to the Legend novel, you know, he's the key to Thrawn's death. And Thrawn's not dead after the series series concluded. So Mm -hmm. it would be nice to see what the next story is in his story. Absolutely. I, I always like the ghost design, but it just gets more and more appealing the more you watch it. It's just a beautiful, practical ship, practical-looking ship. Oh, yeah, it definitely grows on you. I remember watching the first series season, not thinking too much of it. You know, I say series like I'm talking about Doctor Who, but it's seasons. But anyways, when I first watched Rebels, the ship didn't really stick with me. But the more I watch Rebels, the more... It sticks with me. And we're getting to a very cool scene mm-hmm. here. I wish they did not spoil this in the trailer because it's so epic. Open his eyes. Roof behind him. This, of course, a callback to season one. with like, the Yep. I love it. I, I wish it was not revealed in the trailer because it's yeah, so I- epic. And the music. You hear the music? I have a comment about trailers in general. Maybe we'll get to it later. This is great. This is vicious. It is. Oh, ooh. And and this is the second time of a fake out of his death. Rook just does not die, except when he does. Have you seen Princess Mononoke, where Dave Filoni shamelessly 
ripped these wolves from? No, I haven't. I know that that it's is a beautiful a movie. Yep. Well acclaimed movie, but I haven't gotten around to seeing it. No. It's it's the adult Miyazaki movie. Like it's it's specifically made for adults. Like it's not rated R, but it's a hard, it's PG thirteen. It's it's pretty violent and, and deep and complicated. Yeah. The, the only one that I have really seen is My Neighbor Tuki or whatever. Yeah. That's so this is like called. the opposite of that spectrum. Yeah. Yeah, that's the only one I've seen. <laughs> Little piggy. <laughs> you know, uh, you almost could do a sitcom with Hondo. I love it. I love the two of them, man. Yep, and we see Head does the same move that we see in the solo trailer. Yeah, Hondo's other quote-unquote buddy from the early seasons are not a particular favorite of fans, and they smartly didn't bring him back too much. But Hondo himself is awesome. Man, they're just ragdolling the crap out of those stormtroopers and biting them. It's vicious. It is. like... They can get away with it because they're in armors and they're not showing blood. But if you think about mm-hmm. it in real life, that is mm-hmm. violent. Mm-hmm. So while this amazing action is going on, can I ask an, a non-jokey Rogue One question in connection to this? Because we are about to converge on the timelines, I believe. Maybe we can talk about that later. Go is ahead. um. So you know the, the 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 pilot of Rebels was called Spark of the Rebellion, right? Yes. But. In terms of actual events, it's definitely Jin and the Rogue One crew who spark the, the the specific rebellion we see in episode four, five, and six. Um, did you think that handcuffed what Filoni and them could do from a storytelling point because they couldn't be on the quote unquote front lines of Scarif, for example? I guess the ghost is, but not in terms of the series, if that makes sense. Like this had to be super significant, and I guess that's where Thrawn comes from, right? Is to give them another pocket of the galaxy that is super important, is frontline in its own way, but not I, I don't isn't it making sense? It is making sense. I don't think that it hindered David because I think it's telling two different stories because with the spark of the rebellion and Ezra's speech towards the conclusion of season one, his speech inspired the rebellion to come together. Where Jin lit the rebellion to take action because what we're seeing right here and in past seasons, yes, the rebels had had some sort of victory, but they're not winning. You know what I'm saying? Especially after Thrawn basically kicked they kick their butts you can understand why the rebels don't want to take action against the empire mm-hmm. so i think they fit perfectly i personally don't see any conflict but right. somebody else might have a different interpretation yeah and, and you know the plan always was for thrawn and ezra to go into the deep recesses of space because it was really the only way to resolve those two most powerful characters in this series was to get them out of the picture that was all i was referring to i mean i think again flonu looks at this stuff as challenges not problems so you know like he it's it's like a fun challenge it is something you have to work around though because thrawn isn't as of yet mentioned at all in movie canon that i'm aware of um so neither is Ezra, of course, even though Hera is and the ghost is and Chopper we see. And I think we're going to see Sabine and I, of course, Ahsoka, I hope. Um, we'll get back to that when we get back to the final episodes. Um, anything about Fool's Hope, a great action episode before we jump into the two-part finale? It was vicious. It was nonstop action and 
I didn't know exactly where they were going to go from here because the amount of level of action that we did get is the level of action that you would expect in like the final episode. So it was very interesting when I was watching this episode the first time where the story was going to go after that level of action. Word. Okay. Well, Jake Girl and I, as I mentioned, are watching on Prime. They have the final episode 15 as a single 45 minute episode. If you guys have it like recorded on DVR for some reason or something, or it's in two episodes, I will try to say where I think they, they diverge. Um, but we're going to run straight through it. So if you, for some reason, hit credits midway through the finale, just pause us and then get started on the next part, if that makes sense. Does that make sense, Jadiki Kroll? I don't know if you can explain it better than I just did, because I know you know what I'm trying to say. It's like, yeah. It does. I don't think they separated them. I, I might don't be think wrong so either. That, but yeah. I, yeah, I think it's all one giant yeah. episode. Yeah. So basically, all I'm saying is, I'm about to kind of stand, but if, you have, if you're looking at it as episode 15 and 16 rather than one episode 15, then just pause, get the episode 16 going when it comes up, and, and it'll be fine. So, all right. So we were about to lead you into the countdown. Pause if you need to. All right, guys. Well, we're about to count you down into the final episode, the double-length episode, episode 15, um, which is a, a great and very emotional finale, as I'm sure you'll see by our reactions. Um, Jerry Geeker, we've just been jumping into the episodes. Before we hit the play button for the final time here, any, any final quick thoughts, or do you want to just save it for the podcast, and then we can talk a little afterwards? I have to say that this episode, in the beginning, does move slowly. But it builds up to a conclusion that captures the spirit of what the Rebels TV show is and ends on such a satisfying note. I cannot wait to dive into it because it is definitely worth watching the whole series of Rebels. Absolutely. And BizzleCast listeners, just because I'm not crying on the outside doesn't mean I'm not crying on the inside. And I may be crying on the outside, so we'll see what happens. But uh, I will be getting choked up for sure. And sometimes me blabbering is a way of me dealing with emotional issues, actually, um, rather than just being quiet and taking it in, which is probably a more mature attitude. So we'll see what happens. Um, hey, I lost it on The Last Jedi. It's only fair that you lose it here. Yeah, well, you also killed the commentary. You were amazing. That was awesome. Um, that was Jedi Geek Girl's first uh, commentary, guys. Uh, I know it doesn't seem like it, the last Jedi commentary. Thank you for all your support. I hope you guys enjoy this one, and here comes the countdown. Um, so you guys get queued up, and then come back, and I'm going to count you down. All right, here we go. Star Wars Rebels Season 4, Episode 15, Family Reunion, and Farewell in 3... Two, one, go. The floor is yours. Awesome. Here we go. We begin this episode with the opening on Lothal after the battle that we just witnessed with Ezra looking at his family. This is focusing on what this series is about. It's about Ezra. And his pants were a important part in season one and to extent season two but this is the motive for Ezra this is important to him and I'm glad that they pulled back and focused on this because this is his story and this is what is close to him we finished what you started you think that was intentional 
I shall finish I do. what you started. Yeah. So people have misinterpreted really quickly uh, comments I made in one of my podcasts that I wanted Ezra to turn to the dark side. I definitely did not mean that. What I meant to say at the time was I would have been interested and open to him you know, going a different direction at the end. I- I'm glad how they resolved it. But just to be clear, I did not want Ezra to go to the dark side. I was just curious about it. I don't understand people's obsession with people going dark, like Ray going dark and Ezra. Oh, I is never like, wanted or thought Ray. Yeah. No, I, I don't want or yeah. expected them to. I just don't know why people expect these characters to, to go evil. Yeah. Well, actually, the comment I made was actually in response to me, responding to what you're saying, which was, I never wanted or expected Ray to go dark, and so I was open to it more with Ezra because I didn't want it to happen with Ray at all. That's That was sort of the, if people listen to the full quote, that was sort of what I was saying. Just as a, Because they're sort of growing up together in terms of our experience of the movies, right? I mean, they're becoming Jedi at the same time in, in our universe. This is great. I love how they capture fear in Governor Price's face. It's so expressive. Could you imagine being in that situation, how bad the breath must be? Yep. I like that there's a bit of a mirror with her look in Sabine, actually. I wonder if she sort of, like, sees herself, like, her younger self sort of like Sabine. They have similar haircut, you know, they're very like feminine, but so strong. Like it's, I don't know. It's interesting. I, I, it's, it was a great addition. It's, it's, you know, sometimes you can really put your finger on why you love something. uh, And sometimes they're just side characters that you just really like. And it's just like, that's a great call. I can't explain why. Again, with Price, I just loved the design and the character and the voice and everything, but I can't really put my finger on it. You're talking about two characters that are similar. I think Keshu and Sabine had a lot in common and, that is captured, especially in the earlier episodes. Hot callus. Hashtag. Yep. Now, I'm not good when it comes to this, so I have to pass it to you, but if you had to cast him in a film, uh, yes. who would you cast <clears throat> as him? I mean, the direct but non-traditional choice would actually do have very dark-skinned David Oyelowo would play him and just say, who cares? One's a cartoon, one's the real world. But if you were trying to get someone to actually look like him and sound like him, I would say... Um, I don't know. Can, can I think about it for a minute? While you, you keep talking, yeah, I'm going to think about it. Go for it. So, so here we see, again, going back to the Stormtrooper disguise that is very familiar with Star Wars. It seems like you can get drunk off of this but can you can you just f- fill us in on just like the general big plan in case people are watching this in parts or don't remember like what's what's the ultimate plan of this final plan of the rebels crew here of the of ghost crew simply put to get rid of the imperials on Lothal. but basically what 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 they're trying to do is they're trying to get into their main base and have it self-destruct above Lothal, killing everybody. Imperial. And I haven't seen this since I originally watched it too, so it still has a bit of that freshness to it. It's like when you watch something a couple months away from it, you still have that sense of newness. Yep. 
Yep. I will say, again, about the cartoons into the movies, because that is a discussion I want to continue into, you know, further podcasts with Soka or Sabine, whoever, is even though Saw Gerrera was the most obvious, you know, and more important first appearance of a cartoon element in, in the live action movies, just the appearance of Chopper and the Ghost and, and Hera in Rogue One was sort of like a nice nod to fans to be like, look, we're about to kill everyone in this movie, and you might think everyone's going to die in Rebels, but we're going to give you some assurances that at least some of them don't die now, okay? So it's not we're like you're going to have two Rogue One situations, which I think, I don't know if that was the main intent of putting the Ghost in there, but it certainly helped alleviate, I think, people's stress. Now, there's still plenty of theories about who's going to die uh, in, this, in these episodes, right? But at least we knew Hera, the Ghost, and Chopper made it. It was my understanding that the reason why they were included because the director wanted to include them. There was no real story element, yeah. but yeah. obviously Lucasfilm signed off on it, and it's a good thing that they did because it unifies the universe. I mean, Gareth Edwards, of the three Star Wars directors, Gareth Edwards is the biggest fanboy of the three. He loves the prequels. He loves the animated stuff. He's open about it. He openly wanted George Lucas's approval with Rogue One and tried to make it as loyal to the original as possible. Yeah, you're right, Jackie Girl. He came straight to Filoni, and I think Filoni was surprised by it and like asked Filoni's permission and how they should do it. Like, Yeah, for sure. It was, yeah, that's awesome. Again, going back to a statement that I made earlier, I love the Ogna. I think the chemistry between him and Hondo is electric. I think they have great chemistry, and it seems like they can never fail on their humor back and forth. Yep. And, and, and that's what Star Wars sort of invented, was the Han Chewie, where you could just have Chewie say anything, and it's all about Han's response and interpretation. And going back to the original Star Wars... C-3PO and R2-D2. That's right. It was both of those. I have to say that when I rewatched The New Hope, C-3PO is such a jerk. Yeah, at least with, like K2 is a jerk as well, but at least K2 carries his own weight. C-3PO doesn't do much except complain and insult people. (laughs) Yeah, he's really dry. Yeah. You know, and he's supposed to be that way. Yeah. And see, we see Rook coming back from the quote-unquote dead again. Not for long. No, but to the point where, you know, he's an important character that you don't automatically dismiss because he keeps surviving. Mm-hmm. Speaking of C-3PO and K2, who is your favorite droid in the Star Wars universe and why? I would have to go with off the top of my head right now. Gun to my head, BB-8. Cool. Yeah, you don't even have to explain it. We all know why. BB 8's amazing. Yeah. But, but, the runner up would probably have to be R2D2. Mm hmm. Just because of how reliable he is. Yep. And let's be honest, BB 8 is just a version of R2D2, basically. Especially the, yeah. especially the Clone Wars version of R2, right? Very powerful. Like I mentioned in an episode, I rebel. R2D2 is the loyal dog that is always there for you. I rebel and your podcast. Best Check it out, guys. Check out. BBA is the little puppy to R2D2's dog. Yep. <laughs> 
Sorry, guys. This isn't a mistake. This is just us watching the episode. This is going to happen with this one. Um, okay, back to Callis casting. Gosh. It has to be someone who has a British accent or can pull it off. Um, Chris Evans, no. Um, hmm. Chris Hemsworth, too good looking. Uh... What about Captain America? I said Chris Evans uh, out loud, I, but I don't know if he can pull off that level of of evil pastness. It's possible. There are so many Chris's that they all, like, like Chris Pratt is another one. I mean, I think the challenge is Callus is a two-dimensional character other than his actual flipping. But, like, in terms of when we see him on screen, he's not super complex so you actually don't want someone to be like too emotional with the performance it wouldn't ring true like he's a hard ass that has a good heart deep down did evil things and then joined the right side i mean that's that you know that that's but that's a challenge to cast in a way although to be fair captain america wasn't necessarily supposed to be as deep as he's become but chris evans has made it an unbelievably deep character right so you never know where it could go um another character that i would like to see brought into the live action universe was uh Kesu. Kesu. Yeah, and they should just straight up put Gina Torres in front of a camera because she's gorgeous and badass. I, you know, I always forget to mention Zoe from um, Firefly in my like list of best badass women ever, but she is up there towards the top with the Star Wars ladies and Sarah Connor and so forth. Zoe is definitely up there, no doubt. Do you think, though, she would be a little bit too tall for the role? I, I, it's, I mean, it, it's so close. Who? I, I, yeah, I mean... The synergy between the voice and the overall look and the, the fact that we know that she can fight and be a badass. Like, I don't know who else you would cast. Governor Price would be another interesting casting uh, as is Thrawn for real life stuff. And speaking of Thrawn, we see him makes his entrance. And I really like this back and forth between Thrawn and Ezra. Care Bass also known as the Star Wars equivalent of a curse word. Okay, can we talk Thrawn a little bit? Go for it. I think something that is definitely intended with the whole Thrawn story thread, but some people either don't pick up or maybe it's their fault for not being more direct about it. Um, I want to see if you agree with this, is that Thrawn, the same way Galen Erso answers the question of how does how is there a flaw that glaring in the Death Star and how did the rebels get it? Thrawn answers the question of, okay, if the Emperor, if Emperor Palpatine was flawed, his main flaws is A, not seeing that Vader would betray him, but that was a passionate thing he couldn't have seen coming. And B, that he's so reliant on Death Stars to accomplish his mission. Thrawn is... is interesting perspective because he's saying, no, we need advanced fighters. We need better starters, right? Which is actually a more practical way to go about taking over the galaxy. He's not relying on Death Stars, especially after the first one blows up. Thrawn kind of answers that question that maybe the, you know, the, the Emperor was thinking the same thing and wanted some other stuff uh, going on. Um, I don't know. Thoughts on the general theory in terms of story crafting with Thrawn? I think, in my opinion, when it comes to Thrawn's importance in the stories and his TIE fighter program, and the Death Star is the Emperor is a master planner. He's always planning these different approaches and stuff like that. And it's because of Tarkin and Thrawn that he are able to come up with these military approaches. And because of the actions that we see in this episode, that this plan doesn't go through. I just think the Emperor, is a, he knows it's a different approaches. Mm-hmm. And it's people like Thrawn that helps him keep his military power. But like, 
hypothetical, first Death Star blows up, Emperor Vader and company say, let's not do that again. How about we build literally 50,000 TIE Defenders and, you know, 1,900 Super Star Destroyers? Might be more effective than another Death Star. Just saying. I don't think the question has been answered in canon, but it would be likely that the second Death Star was already in planning. So maybe he was already committed to it, you know, and he didn't want to abandon the project. Um. Sometimes that happens in real life where you are committed to a project when you probably yep. should abandon it, but you can't yep. because you invested so much of yourself and your uh-huh. resources into it. Mm-hmm. Yep. There's a very specific great sci-fi movie that addresses this with a great quote, movie Contact, 1997 with Jodie Foster from the Carl Sagan book. They have a time travel device sent to them by aliens. It, the first one is blown up very publicly by a Christian fundamentalist terrorist. It turns out that there's a rich um, uh, mogul who's funded a, a second one in secret with governments, thinking that, that might have happened. And he says, first rule of government spending, never buy one when you can buy two for twice the price. <laughs> and now, right here, we see Ezra making a mature choice. He knows what he has to do. As much as he probably wants to stay with his new family, he knows that he has to go and confront Thrawn. And it is important that both Sabine and Chopper help him out. It definitely shows his evolution and his evolution with Sabine. See, that just pulls at your heart right there because as far as he knows, that is the last time he's going to see them. And he can't say bye. He has to sneak away. I'm terrible at saying goodbyes. I I do Irish goodbyes all the time where I just leave. (laughs) Yeah, bye's always awkward for me. I love hellos, hugging, kissing. I'm into the whole thing. Leaving, it's like I want to get out of there. Which would be a little bit awkward in a relationship. (laughs) You're like, I'm just going to leave now. Our relationship is over. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's cold. This music in the background is it really tugs at you. Even though it's been used over and over again, it hits that emotional beat. We need two teams. And the leader of the second team, let me introduce to you, Cassian Andor. <laughs> drink, drink, drink. I think that we are going to get a hair and Cassian oh God. story somewhere along the line. I don't know when. I think it would be a perfect Forces of Destiny story, but I hope we get that. Trail is over. Right, she still thinks she's got the upper hand. Look at this. Okay, so that shot of the Star Destroyer, do you remember the very opening shot of this where they're hovering over the ghost on the ground in the woods? That was a painting, I believe. There's like some shots here that are either straight up paintings or paintings with a little bit of animation. I, I love, I mean, this looks so much crisper than earlier years animation. I know their budget didn't grow, so they must have just been improving every, every year. I, I love to see that, even though it's looked good from the beginning. Oh, here we go. There's the mask of the uh, Jedi Temple Guard. What I really appreciate in this episode is it gives credence to how storytelling is a rhythm. You see the same setting cycle over and over again with Ezra confronting Thrawn the way that he does. It throws back to Luke. It throws back to Rey. And it's not, it doesn't feel forced. It feels natural. It feels like it fits. But you can definitely see how 
there's rhythm in the stories and the beats. Yep. So this, of course, is <clears throat> Lars Mikkelsen, Mads Mikkelsen's brother. Mads famously played Galen Erso, Jin's dad, and is a great actor in his own right. Um, but I know Lars didn't get this job easily. Filoni talks about how exhaustive a search they did. So it wasn't like it was pure nepotism, but Lars just had that, that voice. It doesn't sound at all like his brother. I wonder how much... I haven't heard him interviewed in real life. If, if you have, does he actually sound like Thrawn? I do not know. I haven't heard it. Yeah, me neither. There it is. The, there's Sabine stuff. I told you. He's really fascinated by her. It's interesting. Well, he's into art. He's like observing. Mm -hmm. He likes to observe it. He likes to study it. And with Sabine being an artist, I'm sure it stimulates him. Yeah, that's true. Thrawn's right about that. And he's right about that, too. I hate to say it, but he's right. Thrawn is definitely a character that if he was a real person, you would admire. Mm Mm-hmm. At his level of strategy and depth and logicalness. That. Mm-hmm. Do you have the, or have you seen the Star Wars propaganda art book? I have heard of it. I haven't. All right, we'll get back. We'll it, get back to that. Sorry. Go ahead here. So, I thought this was classic Palpatine. You know, he puts on a baby face to lure you in, like your best friend, your father. When he is the devil. And what does the devil do in mythology? He lures you in with promises and truths, if you will. Yep. And actually, going back to what I said before, I'm definitely glad they got Ian McDermott to do episode one and two version of Palpatine. Oh, yeah. I don't think you could have told that story without him. No. I guess what I was saying was Sam Witwer can do Return of the Jedi, Evil Palpatine, but only Ian McDermott can do the prequels Palpatine, which is still my favorite part of the prequels. That's just my personal favorite is just his his role and his portrayal. He's such a great actor. Oh, yeah, I agree 100%. Like I mentioned earlier before, one of my favorite performances of him was how over the top he was in episode three. It's over the top, but I swear to God, I stick by my guns that when Anakin actually turns which he had seen coming and had a major hand in, there's a brief moment where he does look a little surprised that it's actually happening, and that's what sells it for me. I could be imagining it. I have to rewatch it, but that always stuck out for me. Yeah. No, I came to the same conclusion because we talked about this before in a previous podcast about how there was two moments where he gambled everything that he did not really know the outcome. Yes. Where sure he had an idea of what would happen, but he did not know that Anakin was going to turn. He did not really know what's going to happen with Luke, but by that point he was so confident that he really didn't put much on yep. as he did with Anakin. So, Because he, he put all of his eggs in the basket and he did not know how that was going to fall. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the two like lines are so overlooked. Again, talking about time with the Force, but not time travel, is Yoda, you have Yoda and... Um, was it Empire, where he says, always in motion is the Force? And then, what's the, line in the, what's the line in the prequels about the Force being shrouded or the future being shrouded? I, you would remember that better than me. Shrouded. Shrouded. 
the dark side. I know exactly what quote you're talking about. I think that's yep. in episode one. Mm-hmm. The point is, yeah. both of them in a single line set the limits of the um, even the most powerful force users. Right? Like you can only predict the future up to a certain point. <clears throat> um, this, of course, is where the Dune influence, which is something I haven't talked about with you much with Star Wars, which Lucas is open about, but I know you're not into the Dune series or have read it. Um, the, the, the idea of prescience and reading the future is very much borrowed and evolved from Dune, where you can be the most prescient, uh, prophetic person in the world, but there are certain major choices that individuals make that can completely throw off your predictions, right? And that's what goes on with the most powerful man, maybe Palpatine is maybe the, at his height, the most powerful person to have ever existed in this galaxy, as far as we know, in canon. In canon, I think he definitely was. And when I originally watched this episode, I thought Zeb was going to be the one to die. It wasn't really committed on the idea of Ezra, but I thought Zeb was going to be the one to die. Yeah, I mean, Vader never had his level of subtle, dark wisdom, you know? Like, I don't think Vader could have gotten to Emperor's level even if he wanted to. No, 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 he couldn't. I have to say that I really enjoyed the performance of Ezra. You definitely see his evolution. It would be interesting going back and watching that very first episode because this is a man, to, for lack of better words, compared to the boy that we saw in Spark of, Spark of a Rebellion. So, when I saw Vanessa Marshall the other day on Collider.com, she talked about how they were all cast to basically be them, versions of themselves, and that's why it works so well. Like, the personalities of the characters are very similar. Personalities of the actors, and that Ezra... Um, Ezra's uh, voiceover actor, Taylor Gray, and, and Freddie Prince Jr. were very close, and it was a father-son thing, or big brother, little brother, and they said at first Freddie Prince was very aggressive at giving acting advice to, Ez- to uh, Taylor, and people thought he was going a little far, but Taylor was just eating it up and asking for more the whole time, and he grew into the role, but he was so open to veterans like Vanessa Marshall and Freddie Prince giving him advice, you know, that's, that's so key as a young, I mean, he's well younger than Tia Sirkar, who plays Sabine, I think, in real life, um, and you can see his growth as an actor through Ezra, which is always great to see, even in anime form that's my two cents so that is that scene right there that we saw is another point of discussion in the community like is it really his pants what is on the other side what is your opinion and dissection of that scene like what do you actually think it was and what do you think was on the other side if anything so I was busy shooting my mouth off. So could you be a little more specific so I can recall it? Because I was in my own head. Uh, when Palpatine tempts Ezra oh, with yeah. his pants and going back to them. Um, it's similar to... Hmm. Yeah, what does it make me think of? It's very hard to dissect because we don't really know. You can say it is a hypothetical hologram. You can say it's actually a gate. It's open for interpretation. I guess it reminds me of, actually, 
I know it's different in type, but not in feeling for me. It reminds me of the most underrated part of the prequels in my book, which is the Emperor's great lie about bringing people back to life and how the lie itself led to the death of Padme. Nobody talks about that, or not often. I don't understand why, because that would be the most brilliant plot twist in all of Star Wars that nobody talks about. So it actually reminds me of the fact that the Emperor created a lie about saving Padme's life, but in fact... Anakin's vision was of the destruction that the Emperor's lies was causing on Padme to die. Another cycle, um, uh, self-fulfilling prophecy thing that's so brilliant. Um, I don't know if that comparison makes sense, but sort of a temptation of something that can never happen, you know, like the words of a snake lying between fork teeth kind of thing, you know? So it is my opinion and interpretation that it is a white truth, like a half-truth. Like, I do think that to a degree, part of it is true, but there's not a complete truth to it. And that is how the Sith works. They tell you the truth. Going back to episode two, Count Dooku basically says, hey, a Sith is in charge of the Senate. And Obi-Wan did not believe him. But And that's what we're seeing here is he's telling him a, a white lie. You know, his pants are there. Maybe they're not there physically. Maybe that isn't a gateway, but it's a gateway. You know what I'm saying? It could be a gateway to a prison cell, but it's a gateway. Again, half-truths, and that's why I like the Sith, because they are honest, and they lure you in with their, ha- their half-truths. It's like, hey, this person is telling the truth. No, they're trying to lure you into their trap. Well, and that's why the, when we, whenever we get the Ben Solo story is going to be fantastic because we know as of five or six years before Force Awakens, Leia had no suspicions that anything bad was going on with him at Luke's Academy. Uh, so it'll be really interesting to finally get that story for exactly the reasons you said. So going back to the episode playing right now, I really thought the Ugnut died and I really wish they would have kept him died because I thought his death had a little bit of a weight to it. They should have killed Hondo, honestly. That would have been really emotional and people wouldn't have seen it coming from an emotional standpoint. Oh my god, could you imagine the fan community? The fan community would have been, yeah, it would have really stuck with them. Well, because it's, you know, I, I, I... a critique or just question I have about these last few episodes is the extent to which he turns to the good guys so quickly after what we've seen in the past. But I think if he died sacrificing himself, that would actually help explain it and really work with the character. Oh, here we go. The one death, right? Yep. I like how he is in the middle of battle with like a tank top. It is fitting though, that the clones who were the real heroes for so long, even though they were slaves, that they would sac- be the one to sacrifice themselves again and again now that they have a choice in the matter is really powerful. Um, I think if there's one complaint about this episode is it feels a little underwhelming when it comes to death. I think, like you said earlier, they could have killed maybe another one. It doesn't have to be a major character on the level of Zep, but maybe the other clone trooper or the, the Ugnut would have done it for me, but... It feels a little over underwhelming, like they were holding back a little bit, but I really cannot complain. I think they could have also done an ambiguous dead or not dead with Ezra, where they didn't definitively kill him, but they entered into like a portal, and it's not clear whether it blew up or whether it was another gate to another part of the galaxy would have been a sort of easy way to do it um, without killing him. I love his well, parents see, are openly, sorry, really quick, I love his parents are openly Middle Eastern. I mean, you can sort of see with Ezra looking like Aladdin as Dave Filoni jokes, but like clearly his parents, Middle Eastern, they have Middle Eastern names. Again, diversity in Star Wars Galaxy, God bless. 
Sorry, I didn't mean yeah. to interrupt you. I just wanted to comment. No, on no, that. no, yeah. that's fine. It's a good point to talk about because of how important inclusion is. But I love this. Like, he really wants to do it. He is on the edge. The gate is halfway or quarter way open. He has his hand on the key. He wants his family. You can see. You could literally buy him actually doing it. And then he makes the mature decision, applying the lesson that he learns from Ahsoka. And you can only imagine how hard that is for him to do this. Oh, this is great. That was awesome. I love this right here. With his disguise falling through. Now, is that a straight-up hologram emperor the whole time? Yeah, that was a hologram. Compared to the astral projection thing? Okay. Because we still want Luke to be the one to only do that, right? So... No fourth user can astral project without killing themselves, and obviously the Emperor is still alive. Mm-hmm. I think as strong as the Emperor is, I don't think he can astral project. It could be a light side ability, mm-hmm. too. Yep. And actually, I will say, um, when I first saw The Last Jedi, I was like, oh, they should have just had him die when he falls off the rock. Now, they wanted the moment with the binary sunset, so I'm cool with it. But it's also so cool, if you think about it, that the astral projection should have killed him immediately, but he actually survived a little bit longer before he then died. Like, if Luke had figured that out when he was 30, he might have been able to survive it and use it. Like, who knows what he's going to teach Rey? God damn, I can't wait. Oh, man. Sorry. I have to say that I thought that was beautiful because it soaks in. You know, it doesn't just happen. It goes back to the Alfred Hitchcock short mode of storytelling dwelling on what is the bomb on it. He told an analogy of suspense and how you tell it. Either you can have two people talking at a cafe and a bomb goes off and you're shocked. You didn't see it coming. Or you can show the bomb underneath the table and have it count down while these two people are talking, building up that suspense. And I thought that was good to have Luke sit there and it dwell instead of it just happening because of the emotional relevance that it had. All right, so I'm going to say it right now because we're seeing this fight between two great alien designs. Lucasfilm, I know it's difficult. We need more aliens in central roles in the movies. I know you can do it. We, we've seen it happen. <laughs> like, more aliens, please. They're so great. I like how we were talking deep and philosophical. Well, not deep philosophical, but talking film theory with a great pieces great pieces of action going on right now. Yep. I literally thought Zeb was going to die. Not really here per se, but And now we're going to see Rook die. I mean, it's so hard to do finales. I can only think of one or two shows among that are among my ten or fifteen favorites ever that had like really satisfying finales. So hard to do. It is. I love Vanessa's performance in this episode. You know that Vanessa Marshall's dad was a a pilot in real life. No, I did not. I thought this was brilliant dialogue with Zeb. I think Chopper's my favorite droid in terms of pure droid because he just sums up all the bizarreness of the whole situation. 
Well, he's a cat, and you're a cat person. Yeah, he's like an angry but lovable cat. <laughs> yeah, again, I love the dynamic between the two of them, but he should have, at least they should have explained how he survived that. He came back to it way too quickly. I forget in the, in the um, mythology with the Clone Wars and Hera, there was the Syndulas. Was he actually reprogrammed the way K2 was? No, he he was salvage, salvage. Here we go, the death scene. Because yep. because yep. they talked about it in a previous episode. Mm-hmm. Right. I just was wondering if there's any actual software reprogramming because like it's interesting to think like they mentioned K two SO being reprogrammed. We're not really told how exactly that that happened. Like, did they just it was just his protocols? Or was he given philosophical training? Like why he should want to be part of the good guys? Like it's interesting to think. Just like so you didn't think I, why Chopper, sorry, real quick, you didn't think why Chopper never tried to just straight up escape if he's so angry with the circumstances. He clearly is okay with it deep down. He just has to express himself. Sorry, go on. So I recommend reading the Kazian and K2SO one-shot from Marvel Comics. It actually tells you that story of how K2SO got reprogrammed. It is open on my iPad. I just need to read it. <laughs> There you go. It takes like five, ten minutes. I know. That's why I don't want to read it, because then it's over. <laughs> and I'll have it to look forward to. <laughs> oh. All right, here we go. The Pergils. Oh, yeah. This is I did I was, not see this coming. No, me neither. And this is when I was like, okay, I'm fully on board with the finale. It really captures your imagination, doesn't it? Because they're huge. They're space-born, you know. It captures your imagination as a fan because you're so used to this smaller setting, but when you introduce something like a pergill, like... Yeah, you know, of all the bizarre, like, Star Trek Next Generation and Deep Space Nine episodes where they meet weird creatures in deep space they don't understand, they never did a straight-up, like, space whale thing, which is common in other forms of science fiction. I, I, I wasn't sure people were going to love it in Star Wars. The fact that people really love the, the love it, that not only can they survive in space, but thrive and live there, is such a great concept that it's not done enough, but I'm glad they did it. Now, this is a common storytelling tool of having some sort of creature coming in and toppling technology. You mean like the Ewoks? Yep, yep. Yes. Yep. And the wolf that earlier. I love you, George Lucas. Screw you for taking out Yub Yub from the end of Return of the Jedi. How dare you? Here we go. Okay, so explain to me why Ezra has to stay here. I don't get it. I don't understand why he has to go. He has to hold Thrawn. He's holding him. Yes, to make. Okay. If you watch this, see, he has to hold Thrawn. If he doesn't hold Thrawn, Thrawn gets out. So this is a mirror of of Kanan's sacrifice in a way, right? It yeah. is. Yes, it is. He can't get out even if he wanted to. Mm-hmm. This is so beautiful. They they it definitely is. rendered the the um what do they call it again? I always forget. Kirkland. Now watch now watch his face coming up here. She's losing another man in her life. Yeah. Hold on. Let's let's just play out. This is a strong, powerful moment. 
Neo in the Matrix. So powerful, and just like that, it's over. The look on her face. It tells you the story. Hera's face might be the most expressive of everyone. It's interesting. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, you can really see it in her face. I mean, she looks more human than Sabine in a weird way, which is intentional. You gotta remember that Edra is basically like her son. And that relationship is a lot more, perhaps, intimate than it is with Sabine because of that mother-son dynamic. And she just lost the man in her life, so... So, yeah, they're rendering these special effects like you would see in a Marvel movie. They're not rendering it like a cartoon. Like, this is extremely expensive to do these shots. The the Pergill... Sorry, I always forget their name. The Pergills were rendered like like a 3D shot in a normal movie which is very hard and time-consuming and expensive. So thank you, Dave Filoni, and everyone at Lucasfilm. This is amazing. Look at this. Oh, my God. I thought that was beautiful how they explained that the big thing in the center of Lothal is actually a ship. They come down to these worlds, and they occupy, occupy them. It is something that I hope that we see in another form of storytelling later on in the Star Wars universe about these types of ships. Well, as a comment in my Rogue One commentary, there appear to be more new ship designs in Rogue One than Episode 7 and 8 combined, which is weird because two of those are set in the far future and one set in the original trilogy time. So they, we know they're capable of, of all this d- diversity of designs. I'm not sure why it has to happen during the prequels and not the sequels, but whatever. I'll take it. It's fantastic. Look at this. Oh. The thing about it is, is if there's one thing George Lucas is, is creative. He comes up with different designs and different worlds and stuff like that. And I thought that was a bit of a hang-up in the sequel trilogy. It doesn't seem like there was much progression and diversity in the technology as much as I enjoy those films. I thought after 30 years, they would be more further along in the technology. And this is beautiful, what we're seeing right here. I mean, why wouldn't they use TIE Defenders in the sequel movies? I don't understand. It works on every level. Here we go. Look at that. Oh, it's the so, the so epic. This is, a, this is an old school Star Wars explosion. Thank God. Uh, you served Look your empire her. well, madam. Yeah, and she doesn't have no fear on her face, kind of nope. like in The Last Jedi. Yep. Hmm. All right, we're about to get to the choke-up point. Um, anything you want to add before that happens, and then we talk for a couple minutes afterwards? Because <laughs> I, did I didn't see the last five minutes of this movie, uh, show happening the way it did. It's great. Oh, I forgot about this. This is cool.
Callback Central. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> Aw, what a great <laughs> moment. I love that. It's so cute. Used to be in the Ezra forever. Hashtag Star Wars Destiny. Hashtag. <laughs> God, Rex is such a good character. He really grows on you. I really enjoy the conclusion to this episode. That's why I'm not talking because I'm getting lost okay. in it. And That's okay. even starting to get a little choked up. That's okay. You do you. I'll do me, which is to keep my mouth running. Um... Here we go. Finally, a success for the rebellion. <laughs> well, officially, they're not part of the rebellion. It's still a success for them, though. Oh yeah, it's a score against the empire. Yep, liberating Lethal, giving the power back to the people. The empire is going to at least have to think twice before trying to take that planet again. Well, George, not George, sorry, David Filoni actually talked about that. This takes place so close to Rogue One that the Empire, the Emperor's attention got a shift to Luke Skywalker, the destruction of the Death Star, that he didn't, that there's no reason for them to take back this planet. They already mined it for all of its resources. Here we go. Ah, uh, the tower. This is such a great opening to the very first episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. There's the bomber. Ish. He had to keep this secret like forever. That's <laughs> mm-hmm. not easy. Oh, the frigate. Look at it. It's beautiful. <laughs> Hashtag Zeb Kylas. Uh huh. Hashtag homies forever. No, see, watch. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm with Zeb. you. Yeah. See? Uh huh. Yeah. And he turns toward him. I, I, I'm on board. Yeah. I am totally on board with shipping that. And then Jason here. The animation could have been a little better, but I thought it was good. Yeah, it does look a little weird. It looks a little video gamey. Here it looks good, up close-ish. Yeah. Gr- green hair. It's just a weird design. I'm not sure why he's human and not have these, but that's okay. It is my personal opinion that when it comes to mating between CA species, yeah. that humans are like the, the I believe it's gene. like the O. Yep. It's they're, the they're like the old, they can be basically put with anybody. Yep. Which helps explain why most of the galaxy is human. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree. Look at those freckles on her face. It's such great design. And here we go. Ahsoka the White. Mm hmm. And then we get the fourth theme Ahsoka Storm Crow. Owl, Storm Owl. She, oh she looks God. like an owl mixed with a wolf. It's great. <laughs> Beautiful. Ba, 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 ba. Fitting that she's in a prequel type ship. I love it. Yes. Mm-hmm. 
There it is. You're welcome, fam. All right. We've already done two podcasts and now the commentaries. Final thoughts. This year's finale of Star Wars Rebels was so well done. Again, going back to the last Jedi commentary, I'm getting emotional with it because it seems like with the storytelling that Lucasfilm is telling right now, at least when it comes to the visual medium, they are doing a great job of hitting the emotional beats. And not only did it conclude on a satisfying note, but it left the door open for four different stories. We got Zeb's story. We got Jason's story. We got Sabine and Ahsoka. And we also have the Thrawn and Ezra story. So... I, you couldn't ask for more in a conclusion. I'll, I'll just give you my personal final thoughts on this whole thing, and then um, I'll let you have the final word, whatever you want to talk about. I'm just going to say, I, you know, I mentioned I went from Rogue One, then to Rebels, then to Clone Wars. Um, it wasn't just because I wanted more stories post-Rogue One, but it was because even though I've come to appreciate the prequels more over the years, I, I did start to... F- believe after also seeing the hobbit movies which were very lackluster in fact i will definitely watch the prequels more have and will continue to watch the prequels more than the hobbit movies um personally now one star wars obviously one never needed to be made um that being the hobbit movies but i did start to believe the hype that prequels could never be done as well as like originals or even sequels but rogue one totally changed my mind about that and rebels just to reinforce that it's actually sometimes liberating as we've talked about uh to do a prequel because because you know where it's going um, or at least, you know, where, like, for example, you mentioned our Han Solo podcast that unlike Rogue One, we don't know where the Han Solo movie is going to end, but we do know where Han Solo ends, right? So it, it almost is liberating because they can tell a standalone story about Han's life, knowing, me knowing what the future is. So whether the movie ends on a good note or a bad note, we know his life progression after that. Um, but it, you know what I mean? So it's actually made me flip the way I think about it and seeing Ryan struggle with some of the fan base with Last Jedi and even Force Awakens has its detractors. I can see how hard it is to make straight up sequels, whereas making it in this time, which we love between the prequels and sequels, um, I'm including the Clone Wars in that, obviously, um, you know, like it just continues to work for me more and more. And, you know, with 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 uh, with Rogue One, like if you had told me like, yeah, we're going to do another prequel and it's not going to have Jedi, I'll be like, I'd probably hate that movie. And the fact that it's my favorite movie now, like it just reinforced that I was into this whole approach. And I, I it also um, and my final thought on this whole thing rant is just it also got me comfortable with pixar style animation again and i'm going back and watching some pixar movies from the last few years like moana and stuff i should have already been watching um and it took me a while for my eyes to adjust but i do really like the animation and the characters are just amazing i mean everyone will agree that the voice cast is was the one indispensable part of of you know i mean yes they got good stories they got good writing they got great animation great sound great direction but without the voice cast again me being an actor-centric person i it wouldn't have sold and that's why ultimately this is for me as treasure to property as any of my favorite star wars movies at this point so that's my final thought uh jedi geek girl i will throw it to you for your whatever you want to end on I think my statement is going to be is to have patience with things. When Rebels first came on, the first season, people people did not know what to think. They jumped to conclusion and they did not know where the story was going to go. They had a lot of anxiety. They had a lot of criticism about it where after watching this series, after watching these series of episodes, we can see where the story went and how it all fits in and 
if you stuck with the story, you get rewarded. And I think when you have anxiety about where the story going or a film or a series, that you stick with it, especially with Star Wars, like with the sequel trilogy right now, the story is not over yet. Once we get done with the story, then look at it. Same with the TV series, going back to Clone Wars and Rebels. Those first couple of seasons, yeah, they had their moments, but there was a lot of anxiety. Okay, what's going to happen to Ahsoka? You know, she has to die. Mm -hmm. Or how are these characters going to play their part into the story leading into a new hope? Relax, sit back, and enjoy the story. I promise you, it's going to pay off. Yeah, it's just weird that people who went through the Ahsoka experience would not have patience at this point because that took years to fully get go from a bad situation to an amazing situation, essentially. Um, so I don't know. It's like people never, you know, I won't go on a rant here, but people, we just need to learn lessons from our past. The whole thing, you know, is like you make a mistake once, it's fine. So if you weren't patient before and now you realize maybe you should be more patient, just be more patient. I, you know, I couldn't agree more, obviously, with that. Um, and really quickly, the fans agreed that the end of the season was amazing. I mean, all the highest rated episodes basically start from Jedi Knight and go to the finale with a slow dip in Doom and Wolves at the Door, which still have a very high score. Um, compared to the earlier season, the earlier half of the season. Um, so they definitely ended on a super high note. If it's perfectly in canon, if it's every bit as well as, as Rogue One in canon, and also every much like Rogue One makes you want to watch the original movies, you know, as well. Um, but it does tie up things with the Clone Wars and the prequels. Um, so final question, then we'll close, because um, I like to end with predictions. Do you, and we'll have to save Ahsoka, because we're doing a Ahsoka episode, guys. It's happening. We're doing a Ahsoka series, so let's just wait for that. But really quickly, do you think we're going to see anything happen be more between episode three and episode four in an extended format, either on TV or movies in the near future, other than Solo? Yes, I do. I, I think the TV series could be, or the TV series can be between episode six and seven. I think that that time period is rich for storytelling. They're actually telling stories in the Darth Vader volume two series right now that are very good. They're, it's a very rich time period that i definitely see them diving in mm -hmm. um really quickly about the time period i'm just curious um with rogue one so they they were very happy that they made a billion dollars with Rogue one they were very happy it's still a lot of money and people liked it or loved it overall but it made half of force awakens um just because i'd love your opinion on this and we'll close out because i just released the rogue one commentary and it's getting great reception thank you guys out there for downloading the crap out of it it's like wow um thank you um is do you think rogue one uh was quote-unquote only half of force awakens money because a it was too dark or mostly because it didn't have Jedi and some of the trappings that we were used to from Star Wars films? Well, I think that is an easy answer and that mm -hmm. is because episode seven was a film 40 years in the making, you know, yep. people, well, about 36, maybe if you want to get really, really technical, but episode seven had this build for so long and it was the first film in 10 years of Star Wars, so it was a combination of events. I don't think there will be another Star Wars film unless we go years without another one that will reach that level again. Maybe it gets closer with it and stuff like that, but, and not only that, but it isn't a Skywalker story, you know, so, and people are attached to the legacy characters, and Rogue One didn't really have any of them besides talking and cameos by Vader and Leia. 
Hmm. I think episode nine could beat Force Awakens because the pent up demand after a year and a half, assuming Solo's good and they continue putting out good stuff on TV and so forth, assuming Solo's really good and J.J. Abrams, you look at his movies, they make a lot of money. Even the low budget horror movies make a ton of money. Like J.J. Abrams just knows what he's doing. His movies make a crap ton of money. Episode seven was great. I'll defend it to my grave. But it's, you know, even though there are flaws, it's fine. But I think it's a mix up the pent up demand. It's going to feel more like old school Star Wars as opposed to the you know weirder Ryan Johnson vision, which you and I loved, but not everyone got on board with. Even rational fans, some people did not love Last Jedi, which is fine. But yeah, you answered my question in the obvious way, the way that should been obvious to me which was less jedi earned closer to rogue one than it did a force awakens so i think comparing anything to force awakens you're right it is it's not really applicable because it was a once potentially once in a generation thing although again with the asterisk that we'll see episode nine um so okay well this has been great i mean we're still going to talk about this we're definitely going to do an ahsoka slash predictions for the future um ep- uh, episode or series of episodes on the lore cast at some point i um, still trying to figure out the new intro and music for it. i promise that's coming guys um and uh yeah anything else you want to say last predictions thoughts feelings anything one last thing i would like to say yes. is unrelated to rebels is i think once ryan johnson series gets off the ground you're going to see the full potential of his storytelling without the restrictions of having to tell the story of continuing it from a certain point that somebody else created. I think once he gets on his own, you're going to really see him flex his muscles. And tying it back to Rebels, mm-hmm. I really hope that David Filoni is able to at least write a live-action film. Agreed with all of that. And... Uh yeah, I mean, even though Ryan Johnson's movies have been pretty acclaimed, um, uh, you know, including Last Jedi. I mean, the press acclaimed Last Jedi, and we acclaimed Last Jedi. But um, you know, his most famous work is still his TV work with Breaking Bad to a lot of people. So, getting to do any kind of episodic production, I think, will really play to his strengths. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, th- they've got an embarrassment of riches. It was great to see getting you know JJ's number two director be be a female person of color. I assume we're going to see a lot more uh, women and people of color directing stuff soon. We already are in Marvel. It's got to happen in Star Wars. It seems like it's starting to happen, which is awesome. Um, and yeah, I just want to again give a shout out Dave Filoni, the entire cast and crew to this. They did an amazing job. Um, it's so rewatchable, these episodes. It's like crazy how rewatchable they are. And they pack so much into 20 minutes. Um, and we were really lucky to have it. And I think, you know, if, if Filoni had more, um, you know, like, uh, like, let's put it this way, as great as Clone Wars was, he was able to improve on it. If he keeps improving on it with new stuff, like I can't imagine, even if he stays with animation and TV, can't imagine where it's going. Um, I know people want him to do a live action thing. I'm fine if he stays in animation. I think it's going to ultimately be his choice. Like, I don't think they're not offering it to him. I think he wants to perfect and hone his craft is just my read of the situation. Um, and him being an artist and drawing so many, like him drawing Ahsoka initially and so forth, like, you know, like it's, it's just something that he loves. People don't realize a lot of people, Lucasfilm, like Pablo Hidalgo, who's known for like the technical manuals are artists by trade. Like they're artists and they're writers. Like, you know, like uh, that's why all these stories are so great. So what Whatever they do, I'd be thrilled. It seems like we're going to get some announcements soon for the next year and a half. They're certainly putting things behind Solo. We're only like a month out, Jedi Geek Girl, right? From Solo. I am so pumped. When do tickets go on sale? I want my tickets already. Man. Yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. I would be happy getting anything from David Filoni because he knocks it out of the park. I just know that it would be nice with the live action, but hey, I would take anything from him. And with that, 
you can find me on Twitter at Jedi Geek Girl. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm looking forward to the ne- next one. Jedi Geek Girl, out. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Jedi Geek Girl. And we'll be seeing you soon. Take care.